This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kara Clank. I'm the other one, Lisa Traeger. We talk SVU crime and then we have celeb guests. So it's a jam-packed podcast. We're very thrilled. We are Time Machine Times 10 because Kara's going back to her pilgrimage, her Mecca. She's... Um, rubbing in the I, soil, jumping in the lake of Vermont camp. So should I not tell yes. them the state? No, <laughs> Vermont is fine. I don't think they're going to find me. Um, yeah, we are. I am taking my... Okay, so you guys know I've all talked... I've talked about camp on this podcast a million times. I'm obsessed with my camp. I was on hysteria talking about how I would never join a cult. And then I mentioned camp at the end. And they were like, okay, so you're in a cult? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That is my cult. Um, camp is my culty thing. And... Um, I'm the every year after camp, it's an all girl summer camp with a boys camp down the road. Very, you know, very that. And right after camp ends for the girls, there's a family camp. And I've worked at that a bunch of times as a single person. And I'm going back this year to run the programming for the camp. Like I basically decide all the activities and schedule the staff and stuff. It's, it's really not a hard job. And then I get to bring my family with me. So we're going to camp, baby. I'm going to be living in a cabin with my children for eight days. Is this days. your first time doing this? With the kids, yes. Because wow. 2019, I had Rosie and she was like new. And then 2020 and 2021, they didn't have it because of the pandemic. Yeah. So this is the first year back and I'm excited. I think I'm in. Se- I'm looking so forward to it that I'm almost forgetting about the flight and how horrific that has the potential to be. But I think I'm manifesting. Do a, you a, think a positive flight? <laughs> I don't want anyone to call Child Protective Services. But can you eat a five milligram gummy? Like, can you just me personally? Yeah. Like, can you eat a gummy and yeah. chill out on the plane? Like, I think it's <laughs> no. Just give it to your kids. Well, you thought I was. You thought I was suggesting giving weed to your no, children. No, I thought you were joking, and I was about to tell you that I am going to give Rosie gummy melatonin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yes. I, yeah, of course, drug I, her. Yeah, Oscar's too little for it, unfortunately. But I am bringing Oscar on the airplane with a car seat, so I'm hoping that will fucking change something. I don't know. But we'll you're not flying Delta, see. right? You're not going to do a layover, correct? No, Straight I'm flying flight. Delta to New York. Direct. Oh, just to New York. Yes, okay, great, yes, great, great, yes. great. Because we're bookending it with some time with the family in Connecticut, and then in the middle is like this big eight-day trip to Vermont. So I'm excited. I can't wait to tell you guys about what it. What are the activities? What activities have you planned for these? Well, I mean, there's general activities like canoeing, swimming, sailing, kayaking. Those are like our arts and crafts. Those are like High always open. Camp. 
Yeah, those are always open and those are always an option. And then we plan like little things for the kids like Baylor Wars where like you just get in a canoe and sink it, you know, and try to like sink other people's canoes or like paint the counselor. Like I'll wear a bathing suit and all these kids will come paint my body. And they are obsessed with that. Like they really fucking bro down for paint the counselor. And then they like, there's like a big water gun balloon fight. Not water gun, excuse me. Water balloon fight. <laughs> no guns. Um, and there's like a ropes course. There's like all kinds of stuff. Um, Oscar will obviously have no idea what's going on, but I really do think Rosie's oh. going to have the time of her life. Um, so I've been, because you mentioned the recaps, I think while we were just in a conversation, but mm-hmm. I was looking through Brian Moylan's recaps on Vulture. Yes. And he has one that's like a top 15 summer camp movies in order. Ooh. Or a top 10. Yeah, so I read that actually yesterday. And um, guess what number one was? What? Troop Beverly Hills. What a thrill. Which is your favorite. So I thought you would enjoy that. I do but like but Troop I'm a Beverly cheerleader Hills. was on it. Parent Trap was a I didn't know, on but it. I'm a cheerleader had camp in it. Well, it's like a camp to make sure you're straight. Like oh, turning gay is straight. Camp. Yeah, straightening I don't like camp. that. Don't love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a great movie. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching so many. You know what movie I really love? It's called Indian Summer. Have you ever seen it? It's like Bill Paxton and all these like older actors are in it. And it's all these people come back to their camp in like September because their camp's about to close. Diane Lane is in it. It's got, oh, it's like- Wet Hot American Summer was on the oh, list. Oh, that's Adam's my number family one. too, yeah. That's it my was, number one camp. It was high up. It was high up. It was like number Adam, four or five. Uh, uh, Wet Hot is like truly one of my favorite movies of all time featuring Christopher Mellons, uh, one of the greatest. <laughs> uh, are we, so, oh, Jed texted me. Jed texted you? He said, who were you in the movie? I did not see you. So that was my Jed text. <laughs> a couple, like a lot of listeners have told us they've seen Lisa in Nope and that she was so funny. Somebody told, texted us and said, your part got a bunch of laughs in her theater. Great to hear. Loving yes. that. One, only one listener said, I didn't see Lisa and I, I've seen it twice. And I go, she's this person. And they go, oh my God. And they immediately like knew. It is real. It is a quick one, but that was fun from Jed. So shout out to Jed who listens. <laughs> shout out to, he also, also texted us what many of you texted us saying Cider House Rules is about abortion and like we we, we got it now we're gonna watch Cider House Rules we're sorry like I'm we, just against Toby Maguire me like, too I just don't like him and I'm won't it's a Christian Bale thing like I'm just not interested I don't I I, I don't yeah he does not do it for me I've, I I think I've seen his Spider Man yeah. He has a weird face. It's me and my friend So from college have like a thing about Tobey Maguire. We were, she's since college, she's been like, what's up with him? Like, He's what's with sinister. his face? There's something yeah. sinister. <laughs> and the only reason he got Spider-Man is because he married the, like the head of the network's daughter. Isn't that so funny? It's like, we really Who's haven't changed- jewelry designer. We haven't changed anything from like the Renaissance back when it was like, <laughs> if you wanted to just like take over a kingdom, you married a daughter. And now it's like, you just marry a daughter to become Spider-Man. Yeah, that's what happened. I, Nothing's and then, changed. And he's like the grossest of the pussy posse, which means like, it's which just- Which says a lot. Yeah. There's some grossies in the pussy posse. Was there? Yeah, I don't like the look. I mean, David Blaine. I don't like the Ugh, look of some no. of those guys. I've interacted with David Blaine. Have I talked about him? Did we not talk about this? I don't know. I we talk so all the time. I don't stories. know when or where. I don't or know. What. I can't tell what we've talked about on the podcast in real life. What I've talked about on other podcasts. 
But he sat next to our friend um, on a plane, our mutual friend, and literally tried to do a magic trick to, like, hit on her. And I've heard from so many people that he, like, literally can't stop doing that. We did talk about it because you said if you can't stop doing magic, that's... Oh, it was us on The Bachelor podcast. It was a different (laughs) podcast. (laughs) We talked about this on a different podcast. So if you don't listen to Will You Accept This Rose, which is Arden Marine's Bachelor podcast that Lisa and I um, guest on occasionally, uh, we talked about how if magic is like your whole personality, it's it can't happen. Yeah, so I, yeah, he just, he can't conversate without magic. So it's like magic, magic, magic. And then um, I caught him. Like I saw him put something under his watch. Yeah. And so I was like, not impressed. And then he would also come to the comedy cellar with Chappelle and get on stage and then would like just bite a glass and start like chewing on, chomping on people's pint glasses. And it's like, get a life. Like, uh, why are you, like, it's just crazy to me. I don't know. I just, but, yeah. I, his... But you know who was there too that night? Who? Naomi Campbell. Excuse me? So it was worth watching David Blaine chomp on a glass to be near Naomi Campbell. And was I was watching her like, like a hawk. Out of control, breathtaking in person. Like, I can't even imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was cool. So she was sitting on this little bench for cool people and I was <laughs> standing by the door quietly watching. I also sort of love that her reputation is that she's a bitch. I'm like, yes, do it. And I doubt she, the thing about her though, she is really good friends with so many people spanning decades. And it does say something. Like, I think she is a warm person, um, but is stern and maybe bitchy. But I don't think her inner spirit is evil or bad. Yeah, I mean, she threw a Blackberry at an assistant famously. But I can see that happening to a lot of people. Yes. Yes. So maybe, a, yeah, maybe a anger issue that might need a tweak, but an overall good person. But she did the community. So I just think one Blackberry throne is not, uh, <laughs> it's not a full, you can't just per, like assassinate her personality for well, no. one. And it's inherently misogynistic. A woman does one thing where she flies off the handle and is immediately branded a bitch, a psycho, crazy to work with. Men can have bad behavior for years and it's like, finally they have to like commit a crime before they get brought to the public. No, this is my new thing where I was a psycho at one dinner at Montreal. Um, But then I I did apologize the next day, but then I was like, you know what? You're all friends with rapists. I can name multiple (laughs) rapists that you're friends with. You're always like, when can Louis come back? So I could be a bitch at dinner. You know what? (laughs) So that's my new thing. Yeah. Okay. Tell I'm a psycho. How many date rapists are you friends with? Like you truly are on a podcast with a psychopath who belongs in jail. Like I don't care. Yeah. Oh, speaking of... Uh, yeah, who oh, wait, belongs we already, in jail? Never mind, we already talked about this. We talked about Dane Cook, but we could keep talking about him because I di- the idea, the defense always with dudes who want to fuck teens is always like, nothing illegal. And it's like, sure, why is your like good or yeah. bad or what's right and wrong so connected to the law? Like, don't we hate government? Fucking yeah, losers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, it's still fucking gross. <laughs> like, we can, yeah, like last If you're week- 45 and you're dating someone that's 18 years old... You're a, you're a maniac. You're a bad, yeah. you're, uh, that's a kid. That is, why does no one remember what they were like at 18? Like, I think that's what leaves people's brains. Like, because right. what happens to a lot of people, they get into these relationships and then until they're the age of the person that like was 
uh, you know, like when she gets 45, I think she'll be like, that was fucking weird. Yeah. Like that's what happened. She also, he's like, everybody's saying he's known her since she was 15. And I'm like, how? How do you know somebody when you're 15 and you're 35? How are you friends with someone at that? At that? And then she was 18. It's the Celine Dion of it all. It's fucking yeah. creepy and or gross you're 30, and legality no, doesn't was, matter. Yeah, he was 42, I guess, knowing a 15-year-old and waited till she was 13. It waited till she was 18. Sure, I believe that. And then now she's 23. I mean, personally, I don't really, I, I just don't get. I, well, I, the I, best tweet I saw was um, he was famous before she was born. Yes. Funny. Yes. <laughs> I, I wish I remember who tweeted it, but I'm on the internet most of my life, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's, it's pretty gross. I, and then, yeah, the fact that it said uh, engaged to longtime girlfriend, well, comma, shame. 23 Honey, is that's so funny. Shame. Yeah. Wait, I sent you from last week, I sent you the YouTube clip of, but is oh, it fashion? Did you watch it? I didn't get a chance. I didn't get a chance. I saw you said, I saw you sent it. Let me. Okay. Well, I'll maybe watch next it. week we'll talk about it. I'll watch it. it and next week we'll talk about it. Yeah. All right. Let's um, start this podcast now because I'm mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm in trouble, so um, during the commercial break, I will be apologizing to Lisa. Stay tuned. Oh, and before we start this episode, huge news, and we're posting everything online today. Um, we are going on tour. That's Messed Up Live. We're going everywhere. We're doing the South, Southeast, uh, Southwest. I don't, I'm, now I'm realizing I don't really know directions, but we'll be in the Midwest. <laughs> we'll be... Um, on the East Coast, we're really excited. We're doing tons of cities. Ohio, we're like, why am I saying Ohio? Whatever. So go look at all of our art. And our friend Alex Drake made all of our art. And it's so fucking good. So go see if we're going to a city. Buy tickets. Tell your friends. We're so excited. The tour is happening. You're always writing comments like, why aren't you here? Why don't you come here? We're fucking coming. So get the tickets. Plan your trips. We can't wait to meet all of you and do fun shows. So check out our tour Starting soon, like September. Like we are, we're hitting the road. Okay, now we can listen to the episode. Let's get going. Today's episode is Undercover Mother, season 16, episode 15, airing in the balmy month of February, 2015. And this is another annoying situation where Hulu says this is episode 16, but it is episode 15 because they do not count the fucking double episodes. They count them as one. So stupid. But this is number 15. We open on a sting operation in progress. It's nighttime. Liv and Rollins are in a van radioing with Finn. We cut inside to a party and Carisi is undercover looking like a cop, if he's anything, uh, with a bunch of young girls and he's wearing glasses. And that's... um that's how you can tell he's not a cop because he's got glasses on. And he's also sitting there not talking to anyone and looking extremely concerned. Like his brow is furrowed. It's like, can you at least pretend like you're having fun or like something? And I guess he's got like, his glasses are like police Google glass because Benson is seeing everything that Carisi's looking at. And it's a lot of images of women's butts. And they're like beaming right over to Rollins and Benson. And um, we see someone walk through the party. It is the iconic actress, Lily Taylor. She walks through the party on her phone. And I know her from Mystic Pizza in the 80s. And then she was in a ton of movies after that. She had a long arc in Six Feet Under. And she was most recently in the new Perry Mason on Showtime, which I loved. And she's just very, very talented. And guess what, Lisa? She went to New Trier when I was looking her up. Whoa. Yeah. Well, I remember her from The Haunting. I think that's when I started. Uh, yes. Um, 
like understanding her name and what was that, but she's in everything. Is the haunting the same as the haunting in Connecticut? No, and there's also the haunting of, uh, you know, the ha- the hill, something hill. <laughs> hill house, yeah. The hill house. I think I saw so the Lily Taylor hauntings. haunting. I think I've seen it. I that, That's like very familiar to me. Anyway, Carisi gets a text from Liv to stop looking at butts. Love it. Um, he goes up to Lily Taylor and is like, how much longer for my jailbait? You know, like he's like, where are my girls? And she's like, five minutes. And don't worry, they're young and fresh. Ugh. Um, Finn and Amaro are in a car outside when a minivan pulls up. And we see uh, we see on the cameras via what Rollins and, and Benson are looking at, a bunch of young girls getting out of the van. And there's a woman saying, all right, chicas, time to work. And that woman is Selena Cruz, who we all know as Laura Gomez, who was Blanca on Orange is the New Black, but she also plays Selena in episode one of this same season in an episode called Girls Disappeared, where she was running girls for a pimp named Angel Perez, but then ended up making a deal to testify, get her son back, brought to the States from Mexico. But now it looks like, fuck, 14 episodes later, she's up to her old tricks. Um, Liv alerts them, hey guys, like we got to get Selena before she gets upstairs. She's known to us and she'll like blow the whole operation because she'll recognize some of these cops that she's already like done business with before. So Selena goes to buzz up to the party and just as she's about to enter, the NYPD like swarms, grabs her and all the girls she's bringing in. And Benson has Selena who's like telling all the girls like in Spanish, she's like, keep your mouth shut, say nothing. And then she pretends to not speak English and Benson's like, oh, sweetie, I know your ass speaks English. And it's kind of a funny little moment. She's like, don't even try it. And Finn and Amaro head upstairs to bust the party with a ton of other cops. Carisi gets down on the ground going, don't shoot, don't shoot. So he's clearly like trying to keep his cover. He's infiltrating as a John. And then Lily Taylor tells one of the cops, this is a private party. It's legal. I'm a waitress here. Like this is not a big deal. And then they all get cuffed and they all get brought in. At the precinct, Liv is leading all the young girls in. One of them is Pilar, who we've seen in an episode called Acceptable Loss. She was the one giving Richard Kind, aka Bing Bong from Inside Out, and my former neighbor on the Upper West Side. She was giving Bing Bong a blowjob and they got hit by a truck and she was working for a big pimp in that episode. Now she's over here in this other pimp ring. Um, Another one of the other girls is Emily Althaus who played Cucudio on Orange is the New Black. So we love a double orange episode. And all the girls are like, we didn't do anything. What's going on? Like, it's just a party, blah, blah, blah. And Selena is still pretending she doesn't speak English and Benson calls her a piece of crap. And, I mean, you just don't want Benson to talk to you like that. Uh, Lily Taylor demands to talk to who's in charge. So Benson steps up and she's like, I'm undercover. And Benson's like, for who? And she goes, I've been tracking this ring for a year. And again, Benson is like, for who? And she's like, they have my daughter. And Benson gets her serious face like, I'm a mom. I get it. And then finally, we're at the fucking credits. It feels like forever. We've had like a f- two full stings, it feels like, in the time it took us to get to the credits. And now... Lily Taylor is out of cuffs and she's in Liv's office demanding that she speak to the girls who were brought in. And Rollins is like, Vice doesn't know you. You're not a UC of theirs. And so then she tries to explain to them, I'm not a cop. My name is Martha Thornhill. I'm from Calgary, which is in Canada. And my daughter Ariel was kidnapped three years ago. I've been tracking her from Toronto to Minneapolis to Buffalo to New York. I've seen her pics in backstage sex ads, which is very funny to me that they call it backstage in this episode because... It is Backpage. Backstage is a a magazine for actors. It's like where they put 
like auditions and stuff. And they always say Backpage in other episodes. I don't know why they're saying Backstage here, but it's funny to me that she would be listed like right next to an audition for like an extra on Abbott Elementary. Anyway, she's been in New York for six months and she hasn't called the NYPD because Toronto police, other police districts where her daughter was taken have all not believed her. They thought her boyfriend had something to do with it. Um, like that he had trafficked her. And Liv is like, well, we just kind of caught you mid-traffic, so why would we believe any of this? And Martha goes, let me show you. So in the next scene, we're at Martha's apartment in Flushing, Queens, where they go. when they go in, she has a full Homeland setup, like photos, red strings. She is the Carrie Matheson of finding her sex-trafficked daughter. I do love that red string photos is now all about Homeland. Like it happened before Claire Danes. Yes. For sure, but... The example is Claire Danes. Like, there's, yeah, it's it the modern took over. example. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, go, 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 Carrie Matheson. So now, um, she does have like, yeah, this full setup, like photos of pimps, photos of girls, like all like locations, all stuff like pictures of her daughter, like trying to track her. So when Benson sees all this, she's like, okay, I believe you, but I'm I'm gonna have to talk to the DA, and she says. Listen, Ariel called me six days ago after I gave my number to her friend. And she was crying and saying, Mommy, they won't let me go. And Benson's like, okay, well, give us the friend's information. And Martha's like, nah, this girl thinks I'm a madam. She's my only connection to Ariel. I'm not giving that up. Back in the workroom, Barba is not buying it. He is being peak Barba this episode. Like he is everybody's dad that has come in to tell you to put the alcohol away. We're not having this party right now. He's being peak Barba in the sense that he's like, how do this woman is a trafficker? How do we know she's not a trafficker? And Liv's like, she recorded everything. She's better than any UC we've ever seen. Like, she's got meticulous records. And Barbara's like, that's because she's a trafficker. And Barbara says that if she turns state's evidence and gives over all of her info, he might take that into consideration. And Liv's fighting him on it. And he's like, she's not going back in. And Liv goes, well, then maybe we go in for her. So now in interrogation, Martha is like, gobsmacked that they're going to charge her. She's like, what are you talking about? I've done all this work. And Barbara's like, babe, you broke the law. You're looking at 20 years. And Martha is furious. You know, her daughter has been passed from pimp to pimp. She's been following this for three years. She's been in NYC for a year. She finally found the pimp who has her daughter. And now you want to move in and like blow my cover and all this. And Barbara's like, it's a brothel. And Martha's like, I'm infiltrating. It's a, a fun back and forth between these two good actors. And Barbara says, no way, you are out of the game. And if you don't want jail time, you better pass over all your sweet, sweet research. And Benson's trying to take over a little because Barbara has like little to no chill. And she's like, Martha, we really need the info on that girl who you gave your number to, the one who knows Ariel. And Martha says, she promised the girl she wouldn't. It would endanger her, and she also doesn't want to blow her own cover. And she said, Ariel was supposed to be there last night. Selena was originally bringing seven girls, and then suddenly it dropped down to five girls. That probably means that two girls that were left behind to get disciplined. She says, the pimp's name is Timmer, and he boot stomps the girls in front of the other girls if they act out. She also tells them that in the time she's been infiltrating, she's bought and sent home six girls. So I guess if a girl causes enough trouble, a pimp will sell her for only $1,200. And then she gets the money from donations from her church. And oh. I mean... So, you know, this isn't... That's not like a lot of money. And I was... During my research, I found something that didn't fit in what I was going to say, but it might fit right here. You know how it's like guns, drugs, people? 
like drugs and guns, you can only sell once. And that's why people are so into human trafficking because you can keep making money off of people and using yeah. them and stuff. And I never, it never occurred to me because these prices seemed so low for a yeah, human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what price is right for a human, but that would be a fun game. JK, um, I just <laughs> said the price is right. But um, just seeing it so succinctly made me be like, oh, that's why... Yeah, like they'll just sort of trade them around as like used goods, but they'll still get used again, you know? I I do have to interject because I have talked about how I think sex trafficking is a little bit overblown in the media. I think that this is a TV show and and fine, but the episode of You're Wrong About where they talk about sex trafficking is very, very interesting. More of the trafficking that, that we see is migrant farm workers and stuff like that. Like the stuff we saw when we did the episode about zero tolerance, like moving people onto like farms where you pay them nothing and they're essentially like indentured servants. Like, you know, But I also wonder if that's by country too. Sure. Sure. In the US, this was mostly about, this was mostly about like people, it's like what we've talked to other professionals about. Like if someone's trafficking, it's not like someone who, it's most of the time, it's not someone who grabbed you from a coffee shop and is taking you across multiple state lines and th- from Canada to the US. Like, it's most likely it's your fucking stepdad, you know? Like, it's someone in your life known to you and who is horrible. Um, and we get into that a little bit later with another one of the characters. So, I this episode is so fucked. I'm like prepping myself yeah. mentally now. It all just <laughs> hit me where I'm like, oh my God, it gets worse and worse. The only reason I'm saying it is because the case we're going to cover, this the person was snatched. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's why I'm thinking if maybe in other countries are hot, like there. Oh yeah, and I'm absolutely not saying that the snatchings never happen because, like, I've read survivor stories. I know they absolutely do. I just think sometimes the media, like it, this, this podcast episode of You're Wrong About, covers how, like, NICMIC, the National Center for Exploited and Missing Children, will like the numbers are highly inflated based on what you think. Like when you think, oh my god, there's tens of thousands of girls being sex trafficked every day. It's like, it's just not, the numbers are not always what you think. And they break it down in a way that I don't have time to do and I could never approach how well they do their research. But something to recommend to people. So Martha tells them, she gets the donations from her church, which I kind of love, like steal that money from the church, bitch. So she, her plan was to buy back Ariel and her friend the night before. So the girls that they picked up that night should know what's up. Like, where are these other two girls? Martha tells Barba that these girls will not talk to him because Timmer owns them. And he says, not anymore, and tells Martha, you better cooperate or I'll charge you. And Barbara's like, yeah, he's like not not at all grateful for any of the help that Martha is providing in this episode. No, he's like pissed at her. It's like a yeah. grieving mother trying to find her daughter who's been like gone through hell and going through hell and is missing. And he's just such a dick. I don't but get it. But it's like cops and lawyers and prosecutors don't want anyone to do their job better than they do. Like she's gotten more done than I'm like, than like the law enforcement has. And like, even though we love Barba, there's part of him that's like, this isn't your job. This is our job. Like get out of here, you know? So I don't know. I don't love it. It's not a good look on Barbara. It's just weird. But then he'll like unplug a baby's heart machine. You know, it's like, <laughs> you well, know. I don't remember the order exactly of like when Barbara shows up on the scene, but this seems like it's earlier Barbara and Barbara softens on a lot of this stuff by the end. Like I think by the time he leaves, like he's definitely more likely to like work around rules. Whereas I feel like at the beginning, he's such a rule follower, but you know, he's not giving Martha 
the time of day. But okay, so Barbara walks off and Martha is like begging Olivia and Olivia's like, I promise I'll do everything I can. Obviously, live the compassionate one. So now we're in like a motel room and Rollins is talking to Jesse, um, aka Cucudio, aka Emily Althouse. And I'm like, oh, is this where she gets her daughter's name from? Maybe she has a connection with this sex worker and that's how she gets her daughter's name because that is what she ends up naming one of her daughters. And she's one of the girls who was taken in the raid. She's 16. She's from West Virginia. And Rollins is like, there's a missing persons report out for you. Like, we can send you home. And she's like, cool, to where my stepdad was the one who started pimping me out to begin with. Like, so what we were just talking about, like, you know, this is how she got into the life to begin with. And, you know, maybe she tried to escape to New York City and then that was like, you know, all she knew, but, or maybe she's been passed around from her step and just completely out of her stepdad's control. Um, but Rollins uh, says, we can put you somewhere safe. And she's like, well, you can't lock the doors and nail the window shot shut. And Rollins is like, oh, like Timmer. And Jesse obviously pretends she doesn't know who Timmer even is. Rollins won't let it go. Jesse shows her a huge bruise on her hip and is like, see this, like, this is nothing. And she's like, you have to let me go back. And she says, I can't help you. And then Rollins asks her about Ariel. But before we even get an answer from Jesse about Ariel, we cut to Carisi talking to Pilar, who's like, this that snow bunny, is that what this is all about? Like, Pilar has no time for it. And, you know, we saw her in an episode in a totally other season. So this girl's been in the life for quite a while for how young she is. She tells Carisi that Ariel mouthed off and that Timmer stomped the crap out of her in front of us, kind of exactly what Martha told us usually happens. And Pil Pilar really wants to go. She says she's innocent. And Carisi's like, not today, Pilar. And Pilar has like, all of his number. She's like, okay, arrest me. Timmer will post my bail. Put me to social services. They'll put me in a shelter. I'll just do the night guy and he'll let me run away. Like, there's no way you're gonna like keep me. I'm a slippery little fish and I'm gonna be out of here. And then she offers to do Carisi. She goes, tell your friend to leave and I'll do you right here. Like, she knows like, in her mind, like her body is her currency and like, that's how she gets things done. So now we've got Pino and Ice. Sounds like a nice chilled red, doesn't it? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought wine immediately. Yeah. Um, uh, Amaro and Finn, and they're at the prison getting, uh, trying to take a run at Selena, and she claims to not know who Ariel is, and like, I don't know nothing, you know, like, and Amaro loses his temper and is like, fuck this, let's go. By the way, your kid's with child services. And then, as usual, Selena softens, and she's like, Miguel, like, where is he? How is he? And Amaro's like, like, you give a shit. We got him out of Mexico for you and you went right back to the life. And she's like, I was just going to a party. So, which again, like the show makes it seem like, okay, yeah, you're a former madam. You were kidnapped from your own village in Mexico. If you remember, that's Selena's story. She was trafficked herself until she was eventually turned into a handler and a madam. So even though she is a perpetrator, she's also a victim. And then they get her son back for her. And then it's like, go make a healthy life for yourself and, and don't do this anymore. But it's like, what are her skill sets? Like, how can she do that? Like, you know, I it's like when you when you look at shows like Orange is the New Black or you look at recidivism, like it's not just that easy to be like, okay, we did you this big favor. Now go make a normal life that we consider to be honorable. She obviously went back into it. Yeah, there might be a gap in the resume. You know what I mean? You yes. can't put Madam yeah, on exactly. your LinkedIn. So yeah. it's tough. Fuck, the world is so bad. Yeah, yeah. It's just really hard to... Like, I mean, she has a record too. Like maybe she couldn't get any other work, you know? So she says, oh yeah, I was just at a party. Like she's still like holding the line and like will not fucking rat on Timmer or say anything about these girls. And they tell her, 
you're going to lose your kid. He's going to go into foster care and there's no way a judge is ever going to fucking let you have him back. And you'll see him maybe once a year once you get sent upstate. But Selena doesn't budge at all and we are done with Act 1. But at the top of Act 2, we do hear that after they left, Selena's lawyer called. And she didn't give up Timmer, but she did give them an address of a party house in Queens where she and Timmer rotate girls a lot. And Martha goes, I've been there. The madam's name is Tracy. So Carisi is like begging to go to another party undercover. And Benson's like, keep your pants on. Let's do a stakeout first. So the next scene, it's like a snowy day in Queens and Carisi and Finn are in a van taking pictures, making observations. Timmer shows up in a minivan with three girls. Uh, Rollins and Amaro are, are in another nearby car. Nobody sees Ariel. Timmer is like roughing up this poor girl who looks very young and very strung out. And so they figure out that the madam is, starts like screaming at Timmer. She's probably pissed because this girl looks kind of strung out. And so Timmer's probably going to go back to his nest, they call it, to get more girls. So Carisi's like, let's follow him. Uh, Amaro and Rollins are like, cool, we'll stay on the house. But Amaro throws a little shade and says, Carisi's driving, great. And then cut right to Finn going, slow down, dude. Um, and like, we're just getting a montage here of people thinking that Carisi's not good at like being a tail, basically. And um, Amaro goes, how much you want to bet he's going to lose him? And like Rollins keeps being like, G give him a break, you know? And then Rollins and Amaro see this beer truck show up. This like beer supplier shows up. And um, with uh, and we're, we're going back and forth between these two scenes. So now we're back on Finn and Carisi. They're on Timmer's tail. Suddenly he just makes a U-turn. And you can't just like do one too or he's going to notice that. So then he comes back the same way. He passes Amaro and Rollins and Amaro's like, I told you. And Rollins is like, settle down, dude. He made a U-turn. Like no one can follow him at this point. Like we can't, they couldn't. It's not Carisi's fault. Like he's a goober, but he's not that big of a goober. And Rollins wants to go um, after the beer delivery guy. She's like, maybe we threaten him, say he's delivering like, you know, beer to a private residence and that's like not allowed. I don't know. So they follow this guy and they pull him over and you'll never believe who this is. Did you recognize this guy? Absolutely. Okay. This guy, and I thought this was some of my best IMDb work yet because I just recognized him and was like, how do I know him? I was like, this is the fucking earwax guy from Loophole. The guy that keeps going, this is ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> this is freaking ridiculous. And like, he is the guy that like, is the robber, breaks in, finds the child pornography, but somehow is the guy that takes care of all these kids in the apartment in Loophole. He's also, this is his fifth episode of SVU. He was in Mean. He was in Snitch. He was in Betrayal's Climax. So, and then he was also in Loophole and now Undercover Mother. So this guy is like coming back for more. But I like loved that I was like, oh my God, they got Earwax Guy to be the beer delivery driver. Perfect. I recently, last night I was watching Seinfeld and a guy looked super familiar. I went in IMDb and he was the insurance guy in Scourge who didn't tell them about the syphilis. Um, and I just like couldn't believe it. And in Seinfeld, he plays, the, he's in the episode with Deborah Messing where she's trying to adopt a baby. He's like the adoption guy. Oh my God. Gosh. So wild. Our brains are fucked and I'm like scared. I like <laughs> IMD. I need to get an IMDB tattoo. I'm on that website more than anything. Const it's and like Jared is like, okay. Like every time we watch anything, I go, SVU, that person's an SVU. Oh man, he plays a real psycho in SVU. And he's like, and okay, I want to stop, it. but I can't stop. Like <laughs> can't I'll be stop. out and about and someone will mention one actor and I'll be like, SVU, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no one asks. No one cares. Uh, I mean, it's a skill set that no one asked for, but here we are with it. Um, uh, so but someone was so annoying. I was like, oh, you guys know about the Long Island Killer? They weren't, you know, they were never found. And they're like, are you sure? And it's like, 
Yeah, I'm sure. Excuse me. <laughs> and they were confusing it with the beach, the guy who buried the people in the beach, like hunting ground style. Yeah. And I was like, no, that's a different criminal. And then they kept arguing. And it's like, D- we are- why are you arguing with I me? know. That, I-, yeah. I make bibliographies. Like, <laughs> oh, God damn it. Oh, anyone will take a chance to try to tell you you don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, here our earwax guy is playing Tommy Strickland, the beer delivery driver. And Rollins and Amaro are really moving in on him because he's kind of playing it cool. And they're like, oh, does your boss know that you deliver to a brothel? Does your wife? And so then they cuff the guy. He's like, I'm just trying to make a living. And they're like, yeah, get in here because, you know, they want information. So back at Liv's office, Martha's flipping through photos on an iPad that they took at this um, Queen's party house. And she's IDing people. She's like, that's Timmer. She knows some of the girls. Then she spots Nina, Ariel's friend, the one she gave her number to. And she doesn't see Ariel, so she's worried. And then they're back. They're all at the precinct kind of comparing notes. They're like, we got nothing off Timmer's car. It's licensed to a non-existent church. He hasn't crossed any bridges or tunnels. And they talk about how a white girl like Ariel would be considered high class. And Finn goes, snow bunnies bring in the big bucks. And um, Rollins points out that tomorrow is Super Bowl Sunday. Of course, she knows that. She probably has big bets. Uh, And... We, she's like, we did snag half of their girls in Manhattan. I bet you tomorrow, like, everyone's going to be working. And so it's, like, also a huge beer delivery day. Ding, ding, ding. Number one sex slavery day. Yeah. Yeah. Super Bowl Sunday, number one. uh, That's not the word, but... Yeah. Sex worker. It's whatever. It's the biggest sale in sex of ever. Is the Super Bowl Sunday? Sunday. Wow! Like wherever it's happening. Like usually, I've heard that, but I forgot that until you just said it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if there's usually like signs at the airport. You know, they're trying to pretend like they care or something. Right. To report. I don't know. It's all fucked up, but everyone is doing bad things on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, I hope that there's. I mean, I hope sex workers are making double that day. If that's like the life that they've chosen, and like it's not just girls that are being held captive. So they say it's also a big day for beer delivery. So let's go talk to Tommy. And so now we're talking to Tommy. He does not have any Q-tips this time. And he's like, I just deliver beer. I don't know anything. And they're like, does your employer know you're making beer deliveries on the side? I mean, they make him some kind of threat. And he's like, fine, if I help you, will you let me go? And uh, they don't, they say, we'll see. And he's just like, okay, ready to spill. (laughs) Like, they don't even say yes. And he's like, okay, here's all the info. Um, He says they rotate the girls every couple of weeks. Special events bring the best girls. They invite the best clients. It's $150 to get in the door. It's very high class, he says. Um, Those are big delivery days for him. And it's tomorrow, like, Super Bowl is his biggest day of the year. And Amaro says, you know what? We'll take that delivery off your hands. So now we're at the house. Amaro is all set up to be posing as a delivery driver undercover. Liv and Finn are in the van. They tell him, okay, there's a few pimps and five girls already inside. And Liv says to Amaro, if you get a bad feeling, get the fuck out of there. So now Amaro knocks on the door. The Madam Tracy comes to the door and she's like, who the fuck are you? No, Tommy should have called me. This is not, this doesn't feel right. And Amaro's like, Amaro's doing a pretty good acting job here, I'll say. He's like, He's like, look, I got all this beer for you. Do you want it or not? I'll go. And she's like, all right, fine. I can't like have my big Super Bowl party, the biggest sex trafficking day of the year without the booze, right? And then Amaro's kind of like flirting with the teen girls that are there. Like he's really um, giving a convincing performance. And then he asks, how old are these girls? And she goes, why do you care? And then boom, he pulls out a gun and they raid the place. So I guess my question is, what was the point of even sending Amaro in? Why didn't they just surround and go in? Did they want Amaro to go in first just to make sure there was, like, no serious weapons or anything? 
It just seems like I a weird, know. it seems like a weird, like he went undercover for three seconds. Like he got into the house and then it was like, I'm a cop. Like they could have just gone in and like raided the place. So anyway, there are guys with guns trying to run upstairs. Everyone's getting caught. Like everyone's getting arrested. And Tracy's like, you're shaking me down on Super Bowl Sunday. And Liv goes, consider it a hostile takeover. Okay, bitch. And now top of act three, Finn and Liv have Tracy cuffed. And Finn's like, this house is our house now. And Liv's like, getting into full let's make a deal mode. And she's like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to throw the party just as planned. You're going to tell us who's coming, the Johns, the pimps, et cetera. We're going to bust everyone eventually, including you. You make it look good and no one will know you cooperated. And she's like, why should I help you? And they're like, how many underage girls are over there? And she's like, Rollins is like, at least two. And so it's like, you're looking at federal charges if, and we found you here with these girls. So so they asked Tracy about Ariel and she goes, I haven't seen her in a week. Maybe she got arrested. Like Tracy's sassing them pretty hard. And she's trying to be cute and Finn is not having it. And he's like, make some calls and get her here to the party. Call her pimp and tell her you got a whale who's willing to pay top dollar for snow bunnies. And Carisi gets to say that line and you can tell he's like excited to be using the terminology. So if anyone asks, Liv is Bethany and she's there to help. I love how that kind of sounds like Benson. It's the beginning of Benson. It's like Bethany. Um, if anyone asks, Liv is Bethany and she's there to help out for the day and Finn is your new supplier with some new girls and Carisi is your whale. Tracy looks pissed, but they give her her phone and she starts like getting everything going, like texting, even though she looks like, she looks like a kid who got grounded. So Liv is on the phone asking for six young looking UCs appropriately dressed. And I think by that, she means inappropriately dressed. And she wants the house wired for sound and video today. She's like marching orders. And Martha's like, great, I'll come with. And Liv's like, whoa there, baby, you got to go home and go to sleep. And Martha's like, I've slept two hours a night for the last three years. I'll sleep when Ariel is back. And then she starts appealing to Benson's maternal instincts and is like, I never sleep. You have a kid. You never sleep. Does your kid get sick? And Liv's like, don't even talk to me. His name, his middle name is sick. And um, she starts, you know, just being like, Ariel used to get sick. And oh my gosh. And so now, you know, Benson is softening up as she does. And Martha's like begging, please let me be there. So in the next scene, we're at Liv's apartment and she's zipping up a boot, okay? She's got like a sort of a mid-calf boot on that she's zipping up. She's got on a silk turquoise leopard blouse and leather pants. And Lucy is like watching Noah and is like, so you're going to a Super Bowl party? I've never seen you dress like this. And Liv's like, something like that. And she starts putting on like massive hoops that I love. And then Lucy's like, well, glad you're getting out. Uh, and it's like, Lucy, she's out all the time. You work 24 hours a day, seven days a week for this family. Um, and then the bell rings and she goes, that's my date. And then Finn comes in and he's kind of in like an understated modern pimp look, I would say. Like he still has kind of like a paisley shirt on under his, but it's like, he looks more upscale than what you would imagine. So now we're at the party. Finn is passing girls around. Liv is making the rounds. Carisi's telling dudes how to bet on the game. Timmer shows up with a bunch of girls and he sees Benson and like freaks out. And he's like, who the fuck is this? And Tracy goes, it's my sister-in-law, Bethany. And I do love the idea of Benson and Tracy spending holidays together. Like just... I like to imagine it. And so I guess it would be Bethany and Tracy. And so Benson flirts with Timmer a little bit and he's quickly over it and now has accepted Bethany into his heart. And Amaro and Rollins are in the van with Martha watching the footage. And she's like, where is Ariel? And then suddenly this mysterious black minivan shows up. 
So Carisi goes up to Benson and Timmer and it's like, uh, where's my girl? Where's my skinny blonde with a nice rack? And they direct him to Nina. They're like, go see Nina like while she waits. And if you were looking closely, you do know that Nina is the friend of Ariel's, the one who we saw on the iPad. We've only seen her on an iPad so far. So Benson's like, yo, this dude has money. Is Ariel coming here? Like, let's get it going. And Timmer's like, oh, let me make another phone call. She'll be here. Like, and then this, so now they're all wondering who is this mystery pimp that just pulled into the driveway? Everyone's asking like, who is it? Who is it? No one knows. And then Benson asks Tracy and Tracy goes, oh, that's the bishop and his ass crazy. And she's like, Timmer must've called him. So now Nina is giving Carisi a lap dance. And Nina is actually, her name, she looked familiar to me and I looked her up. Her name is Danielle Burgess and she was in The Sinner and Manifest, a couple episodes of Manifest. I don't know if you recognize her. Um, and But she works and booked and blessed. So in walks the bishop and it's fucking Donald Logue, the actor, aka Lieutenant Declan Murphy, who was very recently their captain at, like, the acting captain at SVU. So he was in six episodes on season 15. I'm against undercover. Like, I just don't believe it. It's like he's done bad things. Whatever, we're going to find out more about him in this episode. But it's like, I don't know, if you're human trafficking for two years, maybe you're just a human trafficker. Like, I just don't know when does undercover end and you being a criminal start. And is it worth it? I just don't buy it. You're right. I mean, and that's all of OC, like with Christopher Maloney. Like all of that is like him infiltrating these massive gangs and having to like, he never pulls the trigger, but he's like a lot of times standing there when somebody gets murdered. But somehow he avoids most of the time ever having to commit like super heinous crimes. You know, like he'll help. And then what though? And then he testifies in court. Like I just never see this ending out good in any... Any like they're always episode. trying to get to the head of the, like, they're always like, we got to infiltrate so we can move up to get to the head of who's at the top. You like, know what I would help? Know. If the people in the government weren't part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, if all the lawyers and cops were not If every constant. single person was not bought and sold. Yeah. Yes, like, yeah. every person is on the fucking take, for sure. But I love this guy. I love Grounded for Life, and I hope he comes on our podcast one day. I do really like him oh, as Oh, yeah, yeah. We person. should see. Uh, he seems like a cool dude. We should get him. Um, He's in, well, I was just gonna say, he's in six episodes in season 15. I think, I believe he takes over for Cragen when Cragen is being or, like, investigated for possibly killing Carissa, the sex worker, you know, in the whole Ganzel situation. So I think that's when Declan takes over SVU and he runs it for, like, a minute. Um, And then he's in this episode, and then he goes on to be in two more episodes. And if you don't know, if you're, if this is a spoiler and you don't know anything, I'm sorry, but he is eventually the father of Rollins' daughter, Jessie. And she is born in season 17. So I'm not sure when they actually, these two get together, but I think it's after he helps her keep her job after she steals a gun from an evidence locker, but we'll see. So the bishop comes in and he calls out Timmer and asks, who are these trespassers? And he's using a full Irish accent. Donald Logue is Irish, but it turns out he's Canadian. I just looked him up. In this episode, he's doing the accent of the bishop, but when he's not the bishop, he doesn't talk like that. He talks with an American-Canadian accent. So Carisi shoves Nina off his lap when all this hubbub starts and says, shut up, bitch. And it's like, Carisi, I don't know if you need to add that much color. And then the bishop does not like that. And he tells Carisi, don't talk to women like that. And then Carisi shoves him and Bishop smashes him in the head with the butt of his gun. Like, it looks like it would knock you the fuck out or give you like a serious 
bleeding cut on your head. Yeah, like, but he deserved it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's like Creasy. <laughs> Creasy, you're wearing glasses. You're like a skinny blonde dude that's like trying to get a skinny blonde girl at this party. Just act scared and stay to the side. You don't really need to get involved. And so then Finn tries to get him to chill the bishop and he goes, I don't know you either, Superfly. I told you he was dressed like a pimp. And Benson pulls her gun and the bishop goes to Timmer, I pray you didn't invite a pig to the party. And that's how we close out the third act. Lots of tension. A lot of people have guns on each other. What's going to happen? Is Benson going to reveal that she's a cop? What's going to go down? So Benson keeps saying, drop the gun, and everyone is just holding guns on each other. Drop the gun. And then the NYPD busts in, and it's led by Rollins and Amaro. Rollins' face, like, if you go back and watch the episode, Rollins' face is, like, so shocked to see Murphy. Like, and you can tell even when she's cuffing him, it's like, Rollins, play it cool. He's undercover. Like, and she's just, like, eyes wide as if she didn't just see him on a camera in her van. But um, back at her office... Barba is with Liv and he goes, do I want to know why you're dressed like that? And it's like, she's not even dressed that crazy, but... I'm, no, Blue Leopard is crazy. For Liv. For Liv, yeah. Silky Blue Leopard. But it's not like it's even low cut. It's like not that slutty and like she's in pants. I don't know. I think she looks like a a modest madam. I'll say that. Modest madam. Uh, So he goes, uh, do I want to know why you're dressed like that? And she goes, yeah, I was undercover and we were all there. And he's like, you all went undercover and Martha was there. Like he's angry. And he says, I told you she couldn't be involved. And Liv just goes, sorry. Like, I love the like, ask for forgiveness later, not permission first. Oh, she t- and then she tells Barba, oh, and by the way, here's the big scoop. Before Ariel even got there, Declan Murphy showed up deep undercover and we had to arrest him. And they're like, what's the undercover? Uh, Barba's like, what's the undercover for? And she's like, we got to find out. I have no idea. And Barba's like, find out. So Carisi and Finn are both in holding with Timmer and Declan. And Carisi is icing his eye and has toilet paper in his nose. And I love this look for Carisi. And Murphy threatens Timmer. And he's like, if you sold me out, like you're fucking dead. You know, it's like he's giving him a lot of threatening words. And Timmer's just like, I didn't, I didn't. And Amaro comes in and lets out Murphy and Finn. And Carisi's like, what about me? And Amaro's like, shut up. You made us miss the game. And I bet Amaro really enjoyed that role play because you (laughs) can tell he does not like Carisi very much. But also like, Timmer and Declan like being like don't sell me out did you do that it's like you're giving you're making it seem like there's something to sell out you know what I mean like why are you being aggressive it's giving it away the Miranda this could be used against you yeah Yes, for sure. So now Benson, Finn, and Murphy are all in interrogation and everyone can speak freely now because everyone's like, can drop their cover. And Finn is pissed. He's like, you put a fucking gun in my face. You pistol whipped Carisi. Murphy and Murphy about Carisi goes, that mouse job's one of yours? What's a mouse job? (laughs) I don't know. Should I look that up? Is that like- On Urban Dictionary? Yeah, maybe. Like, what is a mouse job? I'm going to look it up and it's going to be like, a hiring site for mice. Okay. A Mickey Mouse job. A job done incorrectly in an extremely poor manner using the simp- simplest, easiest, cheapest, and fastest way possible. Interesting. Calling him cheap. Well, that's that's a Mickey Mouse job, but still. Okay. That's courtesy of Urban Dictionary. Don't want anyone to think I'm making up these super factual definitions. So anyway, I just thought the mouse job line was so random and funny. So they're like, what the hell were you doing there? And he's like, same question. I've been embedded with these guys for nine months and you guys try a vice bust on Super Bowl Sunday, the dumbest, riskiest day of the year. He obviously knows that Super Bowl Sunday is a big day for sex trafficking and like 
why would you be like doing this? And he doesn't, um, and they're like, we're looking for a girl. And he's like, I can't believe you're looking for one girl. I'm tracking hundreds of girls. Like, didn't I tell you to think bigger? I'm working for Johnny D. And so now we're introduced to this, the name Johnny D, which is going to become important. And he's pissed because now he's going to have to spend a week in Rikers to make it look real until the gun charge gets dropped. And Benson shows him Ariel and he goes, oh yeah, Ariel. Timmer did a number on her and then sold her to Johnny D for 800 bucks. So now it's like, the number of money that they're spending on this girl keeps going down and down. But then I don't understand why she's so important to hang on to. Like if she's, they've beaten her up and done all this stuff to her. I don't know. And she can't work. I think work. they're sadists. They like it. Yeah. They like to punish and beat the shit out of girls. But if she can't make money for you, like, I don't know. I always think they think of it as like their objects. So it's like, why are well, you? Well, because they're all having, you know, they send her to that place. You'll get to it, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they they like want to know from Murphy. They're like, well, where is she? Where's Ariel? And he's like, I've only bought girls from Johnny D. I, he's never taken me to his lair. Um, and Benson can't believe that Murphy is like actually trafficking. And he's like, well, I'm earning Johnny D's trust and you better not tell on me to 1PP. And it's like, well, if you were doing something right, why can't 1PP know? You know? Agreed. Like, you know, like I just, it, says, it seems like it's like sketchy and he's- I want to know true research on how often being undercover helps. I only know of two cases and it was both women, so. Yeah. I don't know. Women know how to fucking do it. Um, but I do think that like in terms of like mafia and like gangs where you really have to like infiltrate to find out how they work and stuff, they probably get a lot of intel that way. But I think they also use undercover, they just use- criminal informants, you know, CIs. Um, so anyway, Benson says, call up Johnny D and tell him you want to buy Ariel. And Murphy's like, Johnny D will smell the trap. Like, there's no way. At this point, it's like, he's probably gotten word, like a lot's been getting done to get this girl to parties. Like, what's going on? So Benson's like, I promised the mom. And Murphy's like, well, that's too bad. Like, th these girls are fucked. Johnny D is a monster. He'll kill anyone without thinking twice, even a cop. And he says, I'll shiv Johnny D the second I'm alone with him. But for now, you got to put me back in holding before this gets worse. So then they like lead him out. So now we've got Rollins talking to Nina and it's the same story. She's like, if I say shit to you, Timmer will do to me what he did to Ariel. And she says, Martha was supposed to buy her and Ariel, but Timmer walked in when Ariel was on the phone with her mom and Timmer beat Ariel until she blacked out. And then she says, call Timmer's lawyer. I don't want to die. And Martha begs to talk to Nina. And of course, Benson has been unable to say no to Martha since the beginning of this episode. So, because she's like, these girls are just not going to talk to you, but they might talk to me because like I've gotten to know them and I'm Ariel's mom. So she gets into the room with Nina and she tells her, I'm Ariel's mom. I'm not a madam. I've been looking for her for three years. And Nina's like, oh, that's crazy. Like we all thought her uh, mom's boyfriend pimped her out like and that she didn't really have a mom. So, you know, it's like whatever story the pimps tell them they, that happens to them is like the narrative everyone believes. And, um, she begs Nina, um, just tell me, tell me where she is. I don't care if you testify. I don't care about anything else. Just tell me where she is. And Nina's like, uh, the morning after Timmer beat Ariel, he took her to Johnny D. So he, so I don't really understand why Timmer kept promising that Ariel was going to show up at this place if he'd already sold her to another pimp. But he kept saying, she's coming, she's coming. Anyway, he always told them they were lucky to be with him because Johnny D was way worse. So... He keeps, apparently, from what Nina's heard, Johnny D keeps new girls chained up for a week, lets all these pimps come in and do whatever they want, and that's how he breaks them. So, 
yeah, we're getting a very scary picture of Johnny D. And we thought Timmer was bad already. So Timmer is an interrogation acting extremely cocky, like so many sex traffickers we've caught in the show have been acting at first. He was like, I was just at a Super Bowl party. I don't know what everybody's like all up in arms about. And Rollins or Finn are like, we've got you on tape with girls. We've got undercover people. Martha was working for us. Selena's working with us. And he's like, okay, sweetheart, get me my lawyer. Like, kiss, kiss. He does like a kissy thing. And I I actually hate that. And... um. They tell him, oh, no worries, dude. We're releasing you. Turns out it was an illegal search, but the bishop thinks you set him up and so does Johnny D. So those guys are going to be waiting for you. The optics are not great for you. And if you want to live, why don't you just tell us where Ariel is? And Timmer's like, like his face is all scared and he looks like he's about to talk. Well, it's funny that he's going to try to be put into jail now. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. You yeah. got to get me into jail. <laughs> yeah, is that because I was going to ask you, what do you think they're going to do to help him? I have no way. I think just they have put him to in jail. Along. Yeah, wait till Timmer's, wait till a lawyer comes. Yeah, or maybe witness protection him or something, like move him. The next scene card at the bottom says, basement of abandoned hospital. And I just thought that was like funny. Like, I don't know. Are there tons of abandoned hospitals? Yeah. Yeah, and it's also like specifically the basement. Like, I think you could have just said abandoned hospital. We can figure out there's no windows. Um, but they are at an abandoned hospital in Queens and they're in the basement. And there's these like big doors that have chains on them. So they unchain the doors. They find girls on nasty mattresses, traumatized, terrified. One girl's like lying there, looks like she's barely conscious. And they're all, like, they all think that it's just like, pimps coming in, I think, to, like, you know, assault them again. So they're, like, terrified. And then Amaro's like, we got three girls. They're all in bad shape. And then we hear a girl scream. And so they follow the sound and they find Johnny D with Ariel. We finally see Ariel in the flesh. And Johnny D is, like, standing there. And he's, when he sees the cops, he grabs Ariel, like, holds her at her neck and holds a piece of broken glass to her neck. And Liv shows up just in time for the face-off with Johnny D. And it's like, are you really thinking about killing this girl in front of a bunch of cops? Like, you're the mastermind? Like, that's this seems, like, too dumb. And Liv's like, if you kill her, you die too. Is she really worth it? Like, she's playing on his, like, these girls are just garbage. Like, why would you let one of these garbage girls, like, decide your fate for you? So then he lets her go, and he asks for his lawyer. And now, the next scene, Ariel's asleep in her hospital bed. Martha and Benson are there. She wakes up. She sees her mom. It's a very emotional scene. Very, very, like, you know, nice to have them reunited. And Ariel is played by Danica Yarosh, who's been on, like, the Purge TV show and seems to be working a lot. She has a big social media following. And she was on another SVU called Wannabe. And it's that episode where that stupid kid is pretending to be a cop. Remember yeah. with Sharon Stone? Anyway, yeah. she's only oh, like remember. Yeah, she's like 11 in that episode. So she's been in two episodes. One as a one as an 11-year-old, one as like an older teen. And so in the next scene, Declan is now in interrogation with Rollins who comes in to give him a cola, you know, one of those generic SVU colas. And they chat and she goes, "You know, some of these girls say you pimp them out." And he's like, "You can't believe a word they say. They're all liars." And then we just move on from that. And it's like Really? That's what I mean. Like, when does it switch? Like, when is it like, oh, no, you're bad. Like, you need to get out of undercover and leave the force and you're bad. You're a trafficker. Like, yeah, I just like, don't believe in undercover work. I'm sure these girls lie about stuff, but you have trafficked them. What are you talking? Like, you're the bishop. You're playing this character of a trafficker. Like, I think your, your move to Rollins should be like, it's all part of the plan. Don't worry, we'll get them all out. Not... 
these bitches are dumb. They don't know what they're fucking talking about. Like, I kind of really don't like the writing here. I know. Or oh, like you mean why these they... young teens that have been yeah. kidnapped and taken and sold and And had, like, horrible abuses committed against them. It's really, it's like, it's really weird that Rollins is like, anyway, what's new with you? Like, she just lets that slide. And so then he goes, what's new with you, Rollins, basically? And he wants to make sure that she's cool with, like, her gambling issue. And because she's like, well, I stumbled a little bit, but I'm on the right track now. And then Benson walks in and tells him how we got Johnny D with four sex slaves. He's going away for life. And Murphy's like, yeah, best of luck, man. He's been trafficking for 20 years with no arrests. I wouldn't turn your back on him. And he says, listen, I'm in like a good position now. Johnny D was the king. He's out of commission for a bit. So that makes the bishop the heir apparent. I'll get out soon. And every trafficker in the Northeast is going to try to kiss my ring. So you got to make it look good. And he tells Benson, you know, you got a great team here. Take care of yourselves. So it's like, we're supposed to believe he's this good guy, but he's like said and done all this bad shit. So I don't know. It's very, it's morally tricky. Repugnant. And so, yes. Repugnant. <laughs> what housewife am I? Morally, the morally corrupt Faye Resnick. Oh, um, no. I was being uh, Meredith from Salt Lake. Oh, yeah. Repugnant. <laughs> Vile. I mean, oh my God, I'm obsessed with her. Okay. Um, so now we are at Johnny. I keep we, I'm this sorry episode. to interrupt you, but if we do not get a real housewife SVU, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm rioting. I'm rioting. It's crazy they haven't done one. Now we have multiple crimes spanning multiple yes. cities. Give us a real housewife episode. Thank yes. you. Yes. Yes. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. So you, this episode, it feels to me, has three endings. Like, I thought we were going to be done when uh, Murphy leaves, but no, there's another scene. Now we're at Johnny D's arraignment, and he pleads 100% not guilty. Like, so cocky. Like, and his lawyer has the nerve to request ROR for him, which is <laughs> wild. Like, he was found in a hellhole with girls imprisoned as sex slaves. The lawyer is like, he doesn't know anything about that. And it's like, Sir, he was holding a piece of glass to a girl's neck when the cops found him. And the lawyer claims that Johnny D was also being held against his will. So whoever this unknown mastermind is, they've been holding a pimp, Johnny D, and four girls down in a hole together at the bottom of an abandoned hospital in Queens. And the judge agrees that this is all bullshit and remands Johnny D. And so at least this guy's going to jail because he is dangerous on the streets. And now we're at home with Liv and baby Noah, and the doorbell rings, and it's Warner, Melinda Warner, at her door, hair looking great, okay? And you get a vibe, this isn't great news, because why is Melinda coming by unannounced? If they have a plan to have red wine and talk about guys, that's a different plan for them, you know? It would feel it would feel different. So she's like, I didn't want to bother you at home, but I wanted to keep this off the books. And Liv's like, okay, come on in. And then she goes, I just need to know where you are in the adoption process with Noah. And Olivia's like kind of taken aback. And she's like, well, there's like a ton of paperwork, but as soon as I can do it, as soon as I can adopt him, I will. And Warner's like, listen, we got a hit on Johnny D's DNA, a familial match in an unrelated case. It is not discoverable in his case and he never needs to know. Benson is still completely oblivious, not picking up on it about at what Warner is getting at, which is that, done, done, Johnny D is Noah's father. Huge twist. And that is Dick Wolf. And this begins a lot of the, this is just continues the like, when can we let Benson live era? Like, can we just let her have this fucking kid? But that's that. Yeah, and um, I sometimes I think about the people who don't watch SVU, but like the podcast, and I'm sure that twist to them was huge. Yeah. 
I'm sure yeah. that was shocking for them to hear. It's um, shocking, but if you know the background, because I don't think we've covered like the Ellie Porter stuff, but Noah's mother is a, was a addict and a sex worker named Ellie Porter. And I guess it's possible that she was impregnated by this pimp, you know, this trafficker. Yeah. And that's All Noah, right. baby. We're going to take a commercial break and we'll be back right after these messages. Okay. Um, so uh, this case is about Marita Verone and Susanna Tremarco. Um, so Marita was a 23-year-old woman who disappeared off the street in Argentina. So that's what I'm saying. This person was legit just fucking yes. snatched off the street. So I'm wondering, I think it's a bigger problem in certain countries of being snatched and Argentina's one of them. So the morning of April 3rd, 2002, she ate breakfast with her three-year-old daughter and left her home in San Miguel de Tucumán. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm giggling. None of this is funny, but I just, I, I, that, it reminds me of Toucan Sam. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a Northwest city of Argentina. And, you know, she was just walking to a routine doctor's appointment and she said she'd be home by lunch. And then her parents, Daniel and Susanna, they started to grow anxious and she was usually very punctual and dependable, um, but she wasn't home. It was past lunchtime. Hours had gone by. And so they went to the hospital where she was headed. Um, she was never showed up. They checked emergency rooms. They searched the streets. They called her friends and nobody had seen her that day. But... Um, when they called the police, they were told they had to wait 72 hours before filing a missing persons report. I don't get that. Is it? I don't, I still don't understand that policy in the States everywhere when we see it on TV. Has it changed? Like, I think it, it's just because a lot of like people run away. And so it's like, if you're going to put manpower into every case, like a lot of kids run away, a lot of teens run away. And so it's like, I think that that's why. It sucks because, but I do think if there's evidence of foul play, that doesn't like count. But if someone just disappeared, like, you know what I mean? Like if, if they she find like- left her daughter, like she had plans, she didn't have luggage. It's just like- I know, but uh, they can make anything seem like anything. Like, oh, parenting overwhelmed her. She decided to go take a few days away. I mean, you know, they make this shit up. But like, I think that's why is like, they just don't have the manpower to check out every missing person's case when a lot of them end up being like runaway or people that just want, don't want to be found. I know. But you know that but show I, the first I mean, 48 where it's like the first 48 hours are the most important to gather yes. evidence. So it's like, why are we even risking it? Like that's what's confusing. Why risk? Oh, okay, fine. This kid ran away. What's the big deal? Yeah. What is the big deal? Yeah. So the next morning, her father went searching for Marita while her mother was with her granddaughter and they stayed home. And then the maid of a neighbor knocked on their door and said an anonymous man was on the line with information about Marita. So not a lot of people had phones in their home in this area in time and the Verone family didn't have a phone as well. And so she ran over to the neighbor's house, but the line was dead by the time she got to their house. But they did get info before the hangup, which was that three men in a red Fiat pulled up to the corner of their block just as Marita was crossing and they stopped the car. One jumped out, twisted her arm behind her back and pushed her struggling into the back seat. And that was that. So obviously yeah. the mom was like so panicked and she ran to a regional government office and started demanding they help find her daughter. Weeks went by. 
and nobody would really help them, so they had to take it into their own hands, and her father started driving around seedy neighborhoods to look for her. A sex worker named Mabel entered the, the car, and it was like a, you know, a sex worker John situation, but he goes, hey, I'm actually not a customer. I need your help. Can you please help me find my daughter? And showed the photo. And sadly, Mabel did recognize Marita and said that a guy who sells drugs took her to La, Ro- La Rioja. Um, a neighboring Providence and said that they did the same thing to her that they did to her daughter. Um, And this is according to a piece in Glamour magazine. And Mabel kept telling them worse and worse info that she for sure had been sold into sex slavery, um, that Marita had been bartered by her kidnappers for around $800 worth of cocaine and then just taken to a brothel. Okay, so this gets very, very frustrating. So they, if they had gone there, they would have actually found Marita. But instead, they got a call from the police from a tip that they got from a witness who says that they saw her in a different town. And so they spent 10 days searching for Marita through the fields in this other town. But it was a false lead and it was a full lie. And there was tons and tons of false leads throughout this whole search um, spanning a really long time. But... She was at that brothel, and if they had gone there and there wasn't that false tip, they would have been able to find her. So um, Daniel, Susanna, and Mabel started getting together and planning what could be done with um, Daniel's childhood friend, Jorge Tobar. Um, And Jorge was a cop in charge of the forensic unit, and he was able to get a bunch of cops to raid the brothel. She was not found, but they did yell, if anyone is here against their will, come with us. And three women ran out with them. And one um, gave a bunch of info about Marita. She said that, yeah, (laughs) she said that she was there that day, but was taken out the back door. Uh, But Susanna and Daniel took her in to stay with them for some months. And after all the info she gave Jorge, they were able to get warrants, which led to more raids and rescues. Um, And the escaped women would pass through the Verone house and give more information that kept being more and more puzzle pieces to this nightmare. Wow. So word spread about her and suddenly tons of people started begging her for assistance and finding their missing loved ones. So Susanna started to obtain names of pimps and sex traffickers from police files. Then she gained entry to brothels across the city. So she would enter brothels and wigs and say that like, oh, this girl in the photo's mother is dying and she wants to see her daughter one last time. Or she would pose as a madam, very Olivia Benson, and like shop for girls to learn about the women for sale and then enable Jorge to get warrants. She says to Glamour Magazine, I lost my sense of fear and time. Day and night were the same, always with a force pushing me to find my daughter. Now, Susanna ended up helping some 280 other young women out. Like, so she legit helped hundreds and hundreds of women um, leave their sex trafficked lives. Um, The women knew that if she didn't help them, that the police would hand them back to the criminals. So she was very... um, necessary in like helping these women. And not only was she housing women and sneaking into brothels, she was also browbeating and suing the government into acting. Yes. Yeah. So at the time of Marita's kidnapping, Argentina had no anti-trafficking laws. What? None. But this is not surprising because, like, in 2008, a U.S. Department report found that Argentina's local security uh, forces profit from sex slavery and they protect traffickers. Not really surprising. Mm. Um, She tried so hard. Like, she went to judges and authorities, but they did not help her, except for Jorge, who was a ride or die, and he was always there. 
So, and being vocal put her at risk. She, but she would not stop. She obviously wanted to find her daughter. So she did not stop, but her house has been set on fire. Um, She's been like tried, people have tried to run her over multiple times. She receives death threats. Um, Her work brings a lot of danger to her life. Um, In 2007, she was given an International Women of Courage Award by the U.S. State Department. And that did help Argentina get their shit together and start embracing her. And then the Tucumán governor held a press conference to pledge to create an anti-trafficking police unit. Um, The unit opened and Jorge became in charge of it and Susana kind of forced that. Um, And then spring 2008, Argentina finally passed a federal law against human trafficking. Uh, Susana opened a foundation in her daughter's name to continue doing anti-trafficking work and to shelter rescue women um, where they can learn job skills and there are social workers, lawyers, and doctors on hand as well. The foundation has filed over 800 court cases on behalf of kidnapped girls and women. And this was around 2012. Um, It also, the foundation trains judges, prosecutors, and other law enforcement to act right, even though they're so corrupt and annoying. Unfortunately, Daniel, the dad, did die in 2010. Susanna has said that this life I lead is a life of pain to the New York Times, which I think we can all assume is a very tragic life. So eventually... Um, Marita's disappearance did yield 13 indictments and a trial. And then in December 2012, all 13 defendants were acquitted of charges of kidnapping. Oh my but God. Then, I know. But then a new trial was set after the mother ordered an appeal. And December 2013, a higher court overruled the judge's conviction. And then they convicted 10 of the 12 defendants. Some of them died. Like, I don't know where the other oh, ones good, went. Good, but good. 10 of them were convicted. And according to the BBC, a court in Argentina sentenced 10 people for up to 22 years in jail for the kidnapping and sexual exploitation of Marita Verone, who has still never been found. No. Um, And then Susanna was nominated for the 2013 Nobel Peace Prize for her efforts to combat human trafficking in Argentina. The foundation, there is still a website. I couldn't find more, like, current info, but unfortunately, Marita was never found. So it's uh, sad. Oh my God, that is so heartbreaking. Like never found. Just like I'm sure killed at some point and just... Yeah, or like sent to Spain. That was like some of the options where she could have been sent somewhere else. Um, Or yeah, killed, not worth it. Yeah. She could have gotten into drugs because her life is terrible. You know, you just like... I think the not knowing probably really is terrifying for a parent, but also the knowing of like, Bad things are happening to her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I, you don't associate... I don't associate this kind of thing with, like, Argentina, really. Like, it's just fucked, man. But thank you for telling us about that. It's, like, really heartbreaking, but it's kind of amazing, like, what this mom made happen with her... with the tragedy that happened to her, you know? Yeah, and she raised her granddaughter and, you know... Yeah. It's sad. It's really sad. Really sad. Because, like, okay, so this happened in 2002. Mm-hmm. So that was 20 years ago. So she'd be 43 now. It's like if she was alive, she could just go find her daughter and her parents, right? 
I don't know. Maybe I'm being stupid. I mean, you're not being like, stupid. Like, I feel like you probably age out eventually. What do they do? They, like, do they just kill you or get rid? Like, I don't know what they do. The traffickers. I don't know. Is it a Johnny D situation? Yeah. It's just all kind of. It's just horrible thinking there's this underground sadness all around us. Yes. And that, like, at least people like Timmer and Johnny D are like, we are who we say we are. Like, we're bad people. Like, that's who we are. But it's like when you are like, oh, cops and like security professionals and people that are like supposed to be taking care of you are just like profiting off of horrible crimes. I don't know why that feels like worse to me. Power um, corrupts. Yeah. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Anyway, we do have an amazing interview, as always, to cleanse your palate of all the sadness. So stay where you are. Today's guest, whew, you guys are in for it. She is a writer, an actor, a director, and a podcaster, excuse me. She's best known for her role as Blanca Flores on Orange is the New Black and for her work on the 2015 HBO miniseries Show Me a Hero, but you know her as Selena Cruz. Guys, I can't believe we got to talk to the amazing Laura Gomez. Oh my gosh, Laura, we are we're so excited, excited to be talking to you. Like <laughs> we're we're just like big fans of all your work. We're huge Orange is the New Black fans. We're huge fans of your arc on SVU. Like it's just a thrill to have you. Oh, thank you so much. This is exciting. <laughs> I always say the best acting I've ever seen in my life is when Blanca thinks she's about to meet her boyfriend at the end and then sees the bus. It's like Truly, I've never cried so much watching I just television. I like, got goosebumps. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's like, it's so... Oh, gosh. You just did such an incredible Thank job. Thank you. It's also the best writing, I have to say, because it's what makes it, you know, possible. Yeah. Yeah. And you, it just amazing. fucked with us as viewers. We just wanted the best for her, and it was gosh. brutal. And Orange did such an amazing job, like teaching me at least and so many people about the insides of for-profit prison and everything and how everything works. Oh my God, like, yes. I didn't know the depths of everything until Orange. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I would, if anyone ever got footage of me watching the finale, <laughs> yeah. it, would end, it would end my, I mean, I am like, um, like I like was sobbing for so long and I'm Poor like not you. a big crier at all. And I was like, if my sister comes home right now, I was like at her apartment. Oh my God. Um, and you but, filmed, were you filming SVU at the same time? Well, listen, the, the thing okay. is that SVU happened way before. It happened in the middle of shooting Orange. So as I was shooting, I think season four, no, season two was the first one is when this happened. So Orange definitely opened that opportunity, even though I auditioned for the role, but... Um, we assumed offer only, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was just... Yeah. Orange opened that door and I think it made it possible. Uh, the arc for sure came from that because I only auditioned for one episode and then they decided to to write more. So that was, wow, that well, was that's, an unexpected and exciting. That Were is you really going cool. from like set yeah. to set? Was it an extra busy few weeks? Um, it was, as I remember, okay, this is what I remember. I auditioned for that role the day that we were having the premiere of season two. 
Um, don't ask me much about the episode because I know you guys are going to get into it. And well, you can, and you're going to tell me more than I, (laughs) we're going to put the pieces together. But I do remember having to go to that audition. The red carpet was like, I don't know, 6 PM. And it was like two or something like that, my audition. And I know someone who was in the show who told me, oh, I'm not going to make it because I'm not going to go because how am I going to make it to the red carpet, I'm, I sent a tape and I'm like, oh yeah, no, no. I'm going to go to the audition because for me, it's all about the work. You know, for me, the red carpet is only valid if it's about the work. I don't, I really don't like those, but you know, and if I <laughs> get to go to those, it's because something is going to come from it. So I went to the audition. I auditioned in front of all oh, the producers. There was like room with 12 people which was insane. It was, oh God, a nightmare for an actor. But also (laughs) you felt how important it was. Like, oh, it was, I don't know. And and I felt really good about having gone because there's that personal approach that you get. And so I had to leave from there and go get ready. And I barely made it. it. It was one of those days in New York, you know, in the afternoon. So you can imagine um, so I remember that, which means I was shooting as we were on break, probably. Yeah, that makes sense. The first, the first one of the arc. The other one, I was filming both together. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a <Yeah>. gift. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they, yeah, like your audition must have been, I bet they wanted everybody in there because this is like an important, like Celine is a really interesting character because yeah. like the way they do in Orange it's not just everybody's good or bad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this girl has her own, like, we find out she has her own story. Like, she was a victim, you know? So, yes. um, I think it's cool what they did with her because it's not just like, first of all, to have a woman working with a trafficker is interesting because you don't, I don't know, like, you, how often you see that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, yeah, she's not, she's not just like in it for because she for the love of the game you know right. like yeah, she's in son. it because you know her son and there's all these circumstances that you don't think of and and um, the circumstances what made this interesting to me because i have to tell you i was and i am I, very hesitant about doing another role in prison because i was in the prison what what other prison am i going to yeah. be And I told that to my manager no more prisons no more maids i'm sorry but this thing with latina what the f- Fuck. <laughs> but there was, of course, it's SVU. I mean, you know, it's an <laughs> right. iconic TV, New York. It just, I just had to. And, and then when I discussed it with my manager, precisely we saw that as a plus. The fact that there's this whole situation that gives depth to this character, which makes it a great territory because just as there are circumstances that made her go there, there's also, I mean, she is, uh, she was a victim and there is the situation with the son, but she is putting women through this, you know, through, she victimizes Mm -hmm. women now. Right. So she went from victim to oppressor, even if the circumstances took her to it. But but still, yeah, that whole gray area was interesting enough to go back to prison. (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> well, they gave you a different color jumpsuit, at least, right? Yeah. You didn't have to wear, or like, you're in khaki, no, I, I, I feel did. like, for no. most of it. No, there was, to, there was orange. There was orange? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I think there was a nod also. You know, they were using a lot of the actors from Orange at the time. Yeah. 
They've yeah. done a full marathon before of yeah. you guys' episodes. Oh, yeah, really? where they yeah, so they've much done like crossover. everybody's episodes. There was a lot well, of crossover at the time for sure. Emma, yeah. one of them is in one of these episodes. Hold on. We've talked to Jessica Pimentel. Okay. And that was very exciting. But Emily is in one of your episodes. Emily Althaus. Emily Althaus yeah. is in my episode. Yeah. That is yeah. correct. <laughs> yes. I love Emily. She, what a beautiful, wonderful actress. Um, yes, indeed. And Pablo Schreiber was in that season, I think, or maybe another. He's in season 15. I mean, he's the scariest person that's ever been on SVU. People so, are like, always like cover his episodes and we're like, we don't want to watch it again. We want to talk to him, the man, what? but we're, I mean, his character is so scary that we're yeah. like, we can't, we're we waiting until we're mentally capable, emotionally. We yes. were talking about hotties. I would like to ask Danny Pino, how was it like working with Danny, him? Also oh. a hottie. Oh, Danny Pino. Because he, like, he is like hating on you in some of your episodes on SVU. <laughs> Can I just say that um, I'm glad to I'm glad to report that the man is as attractive as he is gentle <laughs> and nice. Great is what a beautiful person he made me feel so welcome. I mean, because remember, even if I was in Orange, I wasn't one of the lead actors at that time in the show. I, I had a good character that still hadn't developed, you know. So it's easy to be dismissal when you're in a show that dismissive when you're in a show that. Um, that has so many guests, you know, and, and famous people or whatever, bigger people for sure. So th the entire cast was very, very welcoming, very nice. Um, but Danny particularly was probably the sweetest um, and the person that I had the like the most interaction that was the complete opposite of what was happening on, <laughs> on camera. Um, it was lovely. I loved him. And Amazing. what a, what a good looking man, Jeez. Yeah. Good jeans. Good jeans, Danny. <laughs> yeah, truly, truly a hot man. Um, yeah. And what about Mariska, where she gets to handcuff you and tell you, I know you speak English when she's got you, like, outside the Super Bowl party? <laughs> Mariska was, I mean, it's impressive the fact that she is kind of in charge of all of this universe in there, right? So it's like a woman boss, um, but also very professional, very nice. Um, just cut to the, like, di very direct to, into, let's go go get to business. Um, but but very welcoming as well, because she's the one also, I, I think, put in, input into who's, who gets cast. So for sure. Um, the The most, I think the most challenging scene that I had was, and this happens when you get, to, when you're a guest in a show that is so established. It happened to us for sure. I'm, I'm sure that people who came as guest stars in Orange would be, I don't know if intimidated is the word, but everybody's so comfortable and you're the newbie, you know, it's like. Mm -hmm. So one thing that happened to me with uh, Mariska and, uh, oh my God, I forget her name. I'm sorry. Kelly oh, Yiddish? Kelly. Yes, Kelly, who was also a sweetheart. And she was a fan of Orange, so she was like fanning out, and that was very sweet. <laughs> um, which for me was like, oh my God, you're such an established actress, an iconic <laughs> New York, you know, figure. Um, but I had to, I had that very vulnerable scene where they, after the interrogation, and I'm all like feisty, and I get to break because they show me my kid and the laptop, and he is with that, man, that's the mean guy, who I know, by the way, Manny 
Manny um, Perez is Dominican and we know each other. Oh, wow. But we never worked together. So a little <laughs> detail there. <laughs> so we never saw each other, even though we're in the same episode. But anyway, I had to break there and... And it was very challenging because yeah, I, I have Marishka and Kelly in front of me and during the break, okay, Cod, we're going to do it again. And they're like chatting. And Marisha was like, so Santo Domingo, you know, I'm thinking of going with my husband and my kid. And I'm like trying to stay with all my emotions so that I can break again. But how can I not, dis you know, discuss Santo Domingo with Marishka? <laughs> she's so comfortable in her own skin in that show. And here I am trying to be the professional actor, not to forget her lines. And also to keep the emotion to cry again when the moment comes where it's action. And it yeah. was all very quickly. And she's also in charge of making decisions for, I think she, was she directing one of the episodes? It's possible she was also directing or at least giving input into the, no, she wasn't, but she was a producer. So she was, so all of this was happening at the same time, you guys. <laughs> so, and wow. it was mo my most challenging scene to be um, decent to Mariska and professional and, and stay in character and be able to break when action happened. I I I am one of those people who was I wasn't like an SVU that SVU wasn't my show. I've always been very um appreciative of it because it was a source of work for many actors in New York. When I moved to New York, it was always like, oh, I wish I could be in that show one day because precisely that. And also, I have to tell you a little anecdote and it is that when I was Right before Orange, I auditioned for, for I don't know if it was SVU, but certainly one of the Law and Orders, and um, twice. So one time I really, it was, I thought it was horrific. I thought I really messed it up. And it's because the, the storyline was for like a fancy kind of, I think she was a sex worker, but kind of the high end. And here I come dressed, I think I said Blanca Flores, because I thought... <laughs> You know, I was prostitute in the streets. Oh, it wasn't that type. So I didn't get that, but I did get a direct offer for the, for another one because of that audition, oh. which was interesting. Like a year later, based on that audition, you didn't get that because you look like a bump. So, but we're getting, we're giving you this one because now we know you can do that. <laughs> and I got it and um, I shot the thing, and I cannot tell you, I was an out-of-work actor at the time. I think it was 2009 when I did that. And uh, they caught me. They caught me. When no. I was one, I went to see it and I'm like, my first time and I'm nowhere to be seen. <laughs> my name is in the credits. I still get residuals for it. But I got caught. And for me at the time, this very, you know, actors, we go through all of these things and I, I just, it's one of the reasons I kind of decided I'm leaving New York. New York doesn't want me. Look, they cut me from Law and Order and my two lines that I had. And I moved to Spain for a little bit and then I came back and then I auditioned for Orange while I was shooting. I, I was directing my own short film and uh, <laughs> uh, that happened. And then, and then I had a whole arc in SVU and I'm like, look yeah. how funny that is. I had my whole journey with Law and order. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is, I that's happened to me. I've been cut out, so I feel your pain. Are you both actresses? 
We're comedians. Yeah, we're comedians. comedians. So, we're cinema yeah. comics. But we're auditioning. I, we're out there. Yeah, we're auditioning. <laughs> okay. you know, I wouldn't Small say parts. it's my it's my I'm not I'm not pounding the pavement to auditions every day, but I was I had a really small part in Broad City and I really was excited and then it got I got cut out. Oh, so you know the feeling? Yeah. Oh, yeah. what a you know. Oh god. It was still fun. It was <laughs> and also I learned not then, then back then I was devastated, but Later on, it's so not personal. It's really yeah. what serves the story. And and because at the time, I'm like, oh, my God, was I so bad yeah. that they had to cut me? Was I horrific? And it's like, no, you just, it didn't serve the story that because it's not about you. Guess what? Newsflash, <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> and the episode has to be like 42 minutes long and you were in, you know, that 43rd minute that they didn't need or something, you and know? I don't know if you went through, but it's also like, I want to tell everyone everything. And sometimes when you don't know if you'll be cut out or how small, yeah. you have to like keep it a secret, but then you're so excited, but then you don't want to be embarrassed. So that's kind of tough to keep it a secret and you don't know yeah. if you'll I do remember my scene with uh, Danny. Danny comes to the prison to talk to me, correct? Mm -hmm. To coerce yeah. me or to convince me to testify yeah, or something? Yeah, he's like, you're a dad. He's like calling you a bad mom. He's talking to you in Spanglish, you know, a little bit of Spanish. Yeah. A little bit of English. <laughs> he's calling me a bad mom. What an asshole. Well, I like. think he's trying to use that <laughs> on you, you know? He wasn't sweet like Kelly. Like Kelly was telling me, you know, we want to protect him. We want you to testify against yeah. what's his name. Against whatever. Johnny, Johnny D, D, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do. I, there's so many. Timber. I know. I know a little bit because I have clips for my demo from that scene with Kelly and Mariska. This is how I know that they were playing good cop, bad cop. And Kelly was like the good cop. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember. I And I remember Danny Pino was um, coercing me or convincing me or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, and I do remember I was having a blast with Danny. Like I could barely keep it together because he was making me laugh so hard before takes. And at some point I had to tell, you know what? I'm not a permanent in this show. You have to stop making me laugh because I'm going to look so unprofessional. I love oh, that he's funny. We didn't, we've never heard that before. That's exciting. Well, he was very funny when we were having our scenes. And I don't know, I don't remember the details, but I remember I was like spitting the water. It was ha-ha funny. <laughs> and I think we were connecting about the Latino background or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was making jokes about the, I think his cube. Ben, I may be wrong, oh, I but I don't actually know. I think this that this is his background, and um, don't take my word for it because it was a long time ago. But it was something like that, and we were going at it about the cultural, you know, moms or something like Latino moms or something like that. It was funny as hell. Yeah, amazing. Curious. Um, you know, you have a Spanish-speaking podcast, and you act in Spanish as well. Yes. What's is it easier in Spanish for you? How is it acting in English and Spanish? Is there a difference? Um, no, there's no difference. I mean, in, in the of course, there's a difference. There's a language. What happens is is like what happens with theater and TV and film. I don't think that acting is different. The medium is different, and you adjust accordingly. Um, for me. The thing with, I'm a very peculiar individualist. <laughs> and sometimes I don't know, no wonder, I, you know, I'm not a big star or anything like, you know, because it's like, I don't quite fit in. It's like, I feel sometimes I don't know what to do with, what do we do with her? Like she was <laughs> raised in the island. She has a bit of an accent, but 
it's not urban enough and she looks Latina, but we don't see the hood. You know, so many things that I notice with the auditions that I get sent and the things that I've turned down also because I have turned down things. Again, I, I'm i not interested in a maid unless I told my manager and unless it's a maid that flies and kills narcissists, you know. I'm, <laughs> it has to be, it has to, or like a lot of money. It has to be like made in Manhattan, okay, part two. With the same <laughs> paycheck that J-Lo got. Yes. Otherwise, I don't want to hear. Um, and I think when, to me, the Spanish portion is because in when I go to this to my country or to Latin America, like I, I did a film recently in Mexico and another one in Spain, and the characters are really non-box. You know, you're, you're not in a box because... It's people who understand that our, our nuances that are writing it. So it's like this, the one in Mexico, even it, it's a, an amazing film. It's called uh, La Cocina, The Kitchen. And the writer, Alonso Ruiz Palacios, and the director is like the most beautiful actor, um, writer, director. And uh, it takes place in a kitchen during one day, you know, and... All the characters are like these immigrants, undocumented, and they're going, some of them documented, some of them undocumented, and they're going about it with, um, it's very interesting what he has created. And, and let me tell you, it, we shot it in Mexico, but Rooney Mara starts in it. And that's going to come out, I think, next year. And it was like, the, it was an ensemble piece, and it's around kind of Mara and, and another character played that by this amazing Mexican actor, it, it it just, even though it sounds, it kind of, again, like, it's like orange, you know, it's like a very, a very stereotypical place going from a prison, but the humanizing of the characters through the writing is what makes it exciting. So for me, I'm always looking for those things. And sometimes those opportunities come to me um, in smaller projects or in Spanish. I actually did a, had a guest star role in a series in, in Holland, and I saw that on your IMDb. I was like looking up your IMDb and I was like, she's the only person that's not Dutch in this show. Yes. What's going on? Yes. <laughs> that's cool. That's what I look for. Uh, things that make me excited. And, and Spanish is where, what it is right now, even though I'm auditioning for things in the US. When I'm I'm like, okay, that's not so boxy. I'll do it. Are you are you are you staying in the DR like you're based there or are you based in New York still or like I I lived in New York for 20 years. <laughs> New York is and will always be home for me. I mean in the sense that home is both places but you know it's like my creative home. Uh but honestly, I don't know where do you guys live? We're in LA but we're both former New Yorkers. We okay. love New York. Oh, so you yeah. know yeah. New York is yeah. like this narcissistic lover <laughs> and it's hot and heavy and then it treats you like shit and you're like, what happened? We were just so in love and now you don't talk to me. And I'm like, 20 years of that gets, you know, enough. Um, I'm I know. I always say it's like Stockholm Syndrome. You like have to do, like, you're like, yes, I'm watching somebody go to the bathroom on the sidewalk, but I live in the greatest city in the world. It is. You know? And it is the greatest city in the world in one it sense. It is. It is. And then you, and I always thought, you know, you leave it to love it, but it came to a point where leaving wasn't enough. And the pandemic got us all in a place of introspection, right? And whoever yeah. wanted to listen, listen. And I said, I need nature. And I, I also had a terrible, terrible case of insomnia. So I had to listen to my body and obey and get, you know, heal. And I came 
back to my native country and I'm, I'm I live at the beach and I am better. I'm not better. I am not an insomnia anymore. I did a, a lot of work on that. Oh, great. And now this is my base, but I also moved from, like, I'm going to Spain next month um, for a few months. So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a citizen of the world. Who says I have to be yeah. in? And now I cannot just send my auditions and, and on the go. And I'm like, oh, I'm a gypsy. I'm a citizen of the world and I'm going <laughs> to honor that. I can't be, I can't stand still. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's the dream—the nomadic lifestyle, right? Yes. Don't don't stay in one place. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. But this is about well, SVUs. Let's go back to yeah. SVU and please remind yeah, me yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I feel like we do. Go ahead, Lisa. Well, I was. It's not SVU. I was just curious about the shorts. Like it's, you know, um, we saw that you wrote, directed, acted in a couple shorts, and yes. I just want to, yeah, Hallelujah and To Kill a Roach. So I just so wanted to hear a, about it. That's an interesting story about that. And it's the fact that when I did that SVU, not or whatever, whichever law and order it was, and I didn't get it, but many other things were happening in my life. I was getting a divorce for after seven years. I was married in my 20s, you guys, throughout my 20s and uh, happily. And, but, you know, it came to a point where he wanted children and I didn't. And that was, uh, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, bye. Um, <laughs> but it was very painful. And I was in this place of introspection and just being very lost. And I, I went to Spain. I took a little sabbatical and I came back to New York. Um, anyway, I, I got into NYU and I took this um, film courses because I felt very out of control with my acting. Like I couldn't control my destiny or my path as an actor is always waiting for shit to happen. And I'm like, I don't want this to be my life. So mm -hmm. I, I took kind of action in that regard. And, and I wrote directed, produced, starring, and edited my first short film, To Kill a Editing Roach. Editing, too? That's wild. Never again. <laughs> but now I can say I did it once, and I have a language yeah. with an editor. And just to say that while I was doing that short film, and my energy was so in the right place, and it was creative, and things were... But it was about a short film that I was doing with my friends. I had the audition for Orange is the New Black. And when I went... I really was in this place of not waiting for it to happen. And I think that kind of, you know, I when I did my thing, I was ready and prepared, but I also was very excited about creating my own work. And I think both things kind of met. And that's how I got Blanca Flores. And um, and I, I, I think there was something about where my energy was at that point. And so after that, I won an award at NYU with that short they gave me the equipment for the next one, Hallelujah, which I had already written. And I write about myself. I write, I'm usually the character, <laughs> you know? In that first short, it was a woman who was dealing with a breakup and she has a meltdown over a cockroach, but it happens to be, oh, it's because my partner and I broke up. So, you know, love is my, love is, my, it's always been my drug and it's always been what I'm, what teaches me the most is <laughs> love and a heartbreak. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Hallelujah was about dating in New York and this woman who is very excited about this date and it seems to be a match made in heaven until he happens to be an evangelical and ask her to say Hallelujah with me in the middle of a date and everything goes south uh, based on a true story. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I did another one with a group of friends and it was written by Hilary um, Bettys and she is an amazing 
playwright and writer. She was writing for the Americans for a while. And, Ooh, and so we were just that. doing things together. And now I'm in, I'm in the midst of, of um, making, well, next year, making my first feature as a writer-director. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. And it's that story about my marriage that went south because he wanted children and I didn't. And I'm exploring, you know, kind of my life in New York and Santo Domingo and the pressure that a woman gets, um, especially Latina women, about children kind of defining who you are and that's what you are here for. And 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 the stereotypes that I don't fit in. I'm like, I don't fit in those boxes. So I'm like, I'm going to write that story that I don't see about a woman who doesn't want children and gets all the pressure because for me, it's always been the men in my life, which I had to, you know, stop my life and do some introspect. Like, why do you keep attracting those men? Maybe you have to be alone for a while. And, and, mm. and so that's where I am right now in a very creative place, alone, but not lonely. Yeah. yeah. I do have a one more orange question about your character. How much of the characterization was your input versus what they kind of you know, verse direction with like the hair and the quad. Like, yeah, I'm just curious the process of developing that character. That character was written as sort of crazy. I mean, I remember the description on the page was uh, crazy Dominican woman talking to the devil. And I said, oh, I can, I can do that, you know? And I remember <laughs> going to the audition as I was looking for a cockroach for my short film. So I was so intent <laughs> on that. I needed a live cockroach. And um, how do you find, how do you, oh yeah, another question. How do you find live cockroaches? I found that outside my home. It no. was frozen and I put it in a bag. I thought it was dead. And then when I opened it, it was live and we shot it. And people You nursed it back to health. I didn't know I was nursing it back <laughs> to health. I saw a dead roach and, and I said, okay, let's just do it. We'll try to move it with a string or something. And it came out alive. That's how vicious those creatures are. They'll never um, die. Because it was all about dying, killing that roach. That happened to me. Yeah. And I melted as I saw it. So that's, <laughs> and I, that's how I wrote that, that thing. And I'm like, I cried for like three hours because of a cockroach in my kitchen. <laughs> and then I put it together, like, I don't know, three months later in therapy. Like, oh, I was crying because of my husband. Right. Who I, you know, my divorce. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is a story. Um, but I went to that audition and I knew, again, I, I had a sense of the physicality. I knew she wasn't, if she's in prison, she's crazy and talking to the devil. So I, I had gone with like a nice hairdo or whatever. You know, you go to auditions looking pretty, mm -hmm. um, somewhat or decent. And I, I had an instinct like this person is not. It's not pretty. So I went to the bathroom and kind of messed up my hair, messed up my makeup. And it's funny because that's why they went to New York to cast this because they were looking for real people. In LA, I guess people sometimes tend to be too pretty because there's that tendency that shows where people look prettier. <laughs> and I had that instinct and it paid off. Um, even though the casting director did tell me, you might be too pretty for the role. And I was like, I... I can be ugly. I swear I can be ugly. <laughs> and I did get the part, but um, I had... So the first portion of, of Finding Blanca was with hair and makeup. And we did discuss this and they were kind of playing around with my hair. Um, like the writers, Genji had an idea of how each character looked, but of course, then it's your job to bring more to the table. 
So that's how the hair, I said, you know, my hair can go big. Let's, let's play with it. And then they made it really big at the beginning. Remember, Blanca was something yeah. out of, uh, out of un underneath a rock or something. <laughs> But then the funny thing is that we were playing around with the makeup artist. Um, she was only in season one and someone who left. But we were playing with my eyebrows and just making it messy. And and she was drawing it more and more. And I said, oh, my God, this feels like an homage to Frida Kahlo. And she's like, do you like it? We can do it. And I'm like, oh, well, let's try it. And we'll send a photo and see what happens. And so the unibrow was born from that just to make me let, you know, to kind of bring me down or something in terms of my looks. And not that I'm like incredibly beautiful, but certainly not Blanca-like. <laughs> I just want to hear about your podcast really quickly. Like, um, Baraja Eso, is it? Is your podcast? Lovely. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. I, I've been wondering, I've been, did I make a mistake not doing this in English and whatever? I do have a few episodes in English, like Piper Kerman is in it. Um, Selenis Leva is in it. We have episodes in English, but then I, I moved completely to Spanish. It's called Baraja Eso. If you have Spanish speakers listening to this, I'm talking to... People and originally I did it with my with a friend of mine who's like my creative partner here, a man Caribbean, and just. But now I'm doing it alone, and it, I feel it's very interesting because it's like this Caribbean woman connecting with her island, but having these conversations about process, identity, and transformation that came from me moving to the Dominican Republic and dealing with my identity precisely as a woman, as an actress. I had lost a job in the middle of, a pand of the pandemic after not working for two years. So I had a meltdown. You know, I had, I went through all the things and Netflix approval and everything. And then the freaking quarantine didn't let me do it. And I was having this breakdown and this um, crisis. And from there, I decided again, I cannot let this define my happiness and everything that is, this is the ups and downs of the industry take control of something and go do it. So I started having these conversations with people about when have you, you know, fallen down? I'm interested in people falling down. What do you do when you're down and how do you go back up? But I'm not interested in being up. I'm interested in <laughs> what do you do when you're down? <laughs> and it's given me a lot of uh, satisfaction and I've had people who are more or less known, but everybody has such a beautiful journey. Like I had Elizabeth Rodriguez who plays Aleida, And so a few of my castmates are coming in, you know, uh, Connie Shulman is in it. She plays Yoga Jones. She, oh, I love yeah. her episode. It is in English and you can find it. But I, I did it in Spanish because I'm trying to connect with um, a Spanish-speaking world and the podcast world is not as heavy as English. And I thought it was going to be smarter on my side. It's not necessarily true, I have to say. <laughs> well, you know what? It's interesting because people are still discovering podcasts every day. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's like, I bet you that there's a ton of the Latin world that doesn't even know that there are like our podcasts like for them that are like yeah. just in, you know, like, so... Yeah. They're, they're going to find you. Thank you. So <laughs> tip of... And you can find me on Baraja Esa podcast on Instagram if they find her and Miss Laura Gomez, MS Laura Gomez on Instagram as well. Because I, I'm sure at some point I'm going to go back to English some other way. But as you both know, probably the podcast where I don't know how there are so many podcasts. This is real. This is real, guys, if you care and I care. <laughs> so 
There are so many well, there's podcasts. there's so many. It's kind of like being a stand-up comedian. There's no barrier to entry. Everyone can do it, you know? If yeah. there's a will, there's a way. So then, and everyone has something to say. Yeah. But tip of the hat to you for doing this. I know that people who listen, you know, who watch shows really love it. And thank you for reminding me of how fun that time was. Because I have to tell you, getting Selena Cruz was... I was in orange already, but I remember I was so excited. I remember I texted Selene Sleva, but I remember texting her at the time. I'm like, oh my God, I just got a, I recur, I got a, an arc on, no, no, I'm so excited. This, this is crazy. I'm so excited even more than when I got orange because when I got orange, nobody knew what orange was. It seemed like right. a web series. And what was Netflix? <laughs> it was a platform for DVDs. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. So I got it and I was happy that I got a job, but I didn't know it would be the monster that it became. But Law and Order, SVU, and having an arc felt, I don't know, it felt like the cherry on top of the cake. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really fun to talk about it and be reminded that I had a freaking arc on SVU. <laughs> yeah. <Yay>. <laughs> <laughs> Always and forever. That was a dream come true. It was so nice that I've been talking about how much I loved her acting for so long to everyone. And now I got to tell her to her face. It yeah. feels special and cool. She's awesome. She's so, she just has the right frame of mind for everything. Just like, don't like, you know, only do things for, you know, that you feel passionate about and like, you know, get to that audition, even if you have a red carpet. Love that. Love that. We yeah, wouldn't, it's about the work, bitch. Yeah, we wouldn't see her. You, you heard about, work, bitch, and then you can show up on the red carpet in a minute, you know? Did you hear about the Britney Spears book thing? No. They, Britney Spears has completed a book, but they can't publish it because there's a paper shortage and they're going to sell too many copies so they can't, like, release it yet. <laughs> and it's, you Why know. don't they just read, oh my God, they can't release it, like, digitally for, like, Kindle? That's or, a like, great idea. Kindle would fucking, people would buy Kindles just to read the book. <laughs> yeah. I think. A yeah. paper shortage is wild. Oh, I'm listening to my um, first audiobook fully, and it doesn't count as reading a book, I think. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's a long podcast. Yeah, you're not actually reading. So I know that that was a controversy, like a debate. Maybe it, not. It weirdly, it weirdly is. There are certain people that care. You know, my husband, a fucking full book nerd, is like, when I was in a book club and people would listen to the book, he'd be like, that's cheating. That doesn't count. And I'd be like, I don't really feel that strongly about it. Well, because I also get if you're dyslexic, fine. Yeah. If you have other things that prevent you from reading, yeah. ADHD, fine. But it's still not reading a book. I don't know what to tell you. I've only <laughs> ever listened to one and it was just, a, I listened to a section of it because I had book club like the next couple days and I had to drive to San Francisco and I had no time to read. So I was just like got the audiobook. And I honestly, I hated the voice of the narrator. And I was like, this is annoying. So I haven't tried another audiobook, but maybe, I also haven't barely read a book in two years because of my life. So um, hopefully I can get back into reading soon. It's so weird. You know James Adomian? Obviously. Mm -hmm. I ran into him yesterday. He doesn't watch TV at all. At all. Really? Yeah. Psychopath. <laughs> and no. he's so funny and he's so good at imitations. It's like, where do you... He must like look up videos or whatever, but I, was I like, love so James. are you re... He's like, I listen to records. And I'm like, and do what? I, a craft? Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, he I is, just... But he, to me, is one of the funniest comedians. He really makes me laugh so hard yes. whenever he does my show. He's so funny. Yes. Um Anyway, back to our postmortem on Undercover Mother, 
<laughs> okay, so, you know, we recently were covering immigration at the border and all this stuff, and I saw an LA Times article. I refuse to pay for LA Times. I subscribe to too many fucking things. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. I only I do New I York Times. $6. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. But um, they have, a, like, people in Mexico City are pissed that rich white people from America are coming yes. and, like, living there. Yes. So I went to look at the comments because I thought we were going to make fun of, like, um, yuppies or whatever. Outdated term. But it was, on a, it was people going, well, how do the Mexicans like it now? It was, like, the most mind melt of comments and I was in it for like 10, 15 what? minutes and it was all mostly like, oh, now you don't like us with you. Why don't you just say you're racist? And like, they just don't get the nuance or difference or like of people escaping torture to come here to do like menial jobs so their family can survive. Yeah, it's Versus a different... rich people going, not paying taxes, like not, still working their jobs in the US but remote and are so rich and like, driving the prices up in poorer places. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. They don't see that though. They're just like, how do you like it now? Maybe you should build a wall. Oh, you don't that's like immigration? Wild. The people on the LA Times, that's their comments. Wow. Um, what do you, you mean, know, wow? I, oh, this town is run by police, right? Don't, I know, like, people but love I just, strong mayors. I, rich yeah, people, I just think rich of people, people that love read, Caruso. People that read the LA Times and take the time to register to do a comment to no, me are honey, left wing. Honey, <laughs> no, no, no. I couldn't get into the article because of the cost. I was in the Twitter comments. Oh, okay, okay. Now, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were like in the article. I'm glad we got to the bottom of it. Sorry, yeah. I was like, no, because like Trash. when you read New York Times comments, it's very different than like when you read underneath the Facebook post or underneath the Twitter post. Yeah, the Twitter comments are going to be pure garbage, of course. Of but course. I didn't know. I felt like um, like in a bubble or whatnot because I went to be like, oh, let's let's see what's up. Lighthearted, funny comments. And then I was like, what? Like people, yeah. <laughs> like it was just like, oh, you don't like it? You fucking racist. Why don't you come to our country the right way? Oh, you're so, uh, so ironic. Like they just loved it. <laughs> they like loved Mac But um, whatever. And I hate that. Then one comment was like, Americans aren't actually really welcome anywhere because we destroy everything and are just kind of like maniacs in sweatpants running around. Yeah. Demanding Everybody more ice and us. water. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm embarrassed when I go other I mean, I haven't been anywhere international in a while besides Canada. And I, I barely, I don't know. I didn't really get the vibe, but you were saying they hate us over there too. Um, wait, I'm trying to look up this thing I posted yesterday that's relevant to Undercover Mother because somebody... Oh, the Biden administration is uh, uni they reunited, reunited 400 yeah. kids with their parents. Yeah. And I will, um, I post, this is, I posted the story in our Mention It All highlight. So if you'd like to read a little bit about that story, Biden apparently reunited 400 families that were separated during Trump. So Yeah, he's had a busy week reuniting and then killing some 9-11 guys. So yeah. really on a tear, Biden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and while having COVID, look at him go. I yeah. fucking hate everyone. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so just to get back to Undercover Mother postmortem, I mean, I have to say, I have openly talked on this podcast about how I think that a a lot of sex trafficking is over-dramatized and the numbers are inflated for, like, you know, moral panic and things to have, like, everyone to get. A lot of the trafficking, as we've talked about, is farm workers, is people trafficking people that they know. It's not as much aerial story of, like, just being grabbed off the street and, you know, but then Lisa told us this whole story in Argentina. So it does happen. So obviously, everybody... 
put a tracking chip in all of your teenagers, but I, I, um, I do. Well, think- we're pro chip in this. Uh, in this, household. I'm pro chip. I'm pro. We're chip. pro microchip on this podcast. I want to microchip these little kids. I mean, Oscar's in the toilet when I look away for two seconds, putting his hands in the goddamn toilet every day. I gotta put a microchip in these kids. Um, but the treatment of people who are being, you know, trafficked for sex is obviously, I think, parts of it are accurate in this episode. So, um, you know. That is... It's brutal, dude. Yeah. I just like, that's like the saddest life. And I'm also just like, who are these monsters that want to fuck chained up teens that are drugged out on dirty mattresses on the ground? I'm yeah. just confused. Like, what's yeah. the demo? And it seems like j- men going to Thailand. Like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't get yeah. it. I really don't get it. No, it's fucked. And... I think maybe we should just let moms be undercover. They have meticulous notes. They do great research. They got she did they, a great job. Yeah, yeah she did. <laughs> she did a great job. fucking job. She like took down two full huge pimps essentially after working on it. I am annoyed that Benson wants to be like honest, honest. Like shut up. Sometimes you don't have to be honest. Yeah, like how does John let D it burn? Know? Melinda has yeah. her back. Burn it all to the ground. No one needs to know ever. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Like, honesty is not always the best policy. Shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. Can you just make your life a little easier? You've just been tortured by a killer. You've been (laughs) assaulted in a prison. You've been held hostage at gunpoint multiple times. Just lie a little. You've earned it. Yeah, you mean like the end of this episode, she finds out about Johnny D and then in future episodes, she, like, he finds out. Like, I'm always like, how does he fucking find out? Like, because Melinda says he doesn't have She's to know. like, I don't want it to ever come out. And then I have issues with Noah. But it's like, yeah, but you trusted a psychopath to be nice to you. I'm sorry. Listen, um, I also, why don't you not, like, why does everyone have to fuck sex workers on the Super Bowl? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I... <laughs> does the game get people horned up? Are they just, like, rock hard after the football game? Like, I don't get it. Maybe it's, like, a night where a lot of guys also, a lot of men, like, are away, like tell their wives I'm going to watch the Super Bowl with the guys and then you know guys get up to guy shit like oh we just got a sex worker for us to use you know like yeah I don't know because to me the Super Bowl is like a bunch of families get together and like eat chips like I think of snacks only when I think of the Super Bowl yeah I mostly go for the snacks in the halftime show yeah pretty basic yeah, yeah that's Beyonce and like chips and dip that's me um but anyway obviously. Um, a fucked up episode that had a bit of a happy ending, except for Benson. Um, and Just these violent motherfuckers. Wait, have you? I saw a compilation. I, of course, you haven't seen it. There's like a trend on Twi- on TikTok where women are picking their husbands up and putting them on the counter and seeing how they react. <laughs> and some of them are not happy. <laughs> I couldn't lift Jared. I don't think. Well, some of them are, and then the men are, like, pushing them, and they're pissed. And then it's, like, weird and not fun to watch, and then some dudes are, like, into it. And Putting them on the counter like too. a kid? Like, the way I pick up Rosie and put her on no, the counter? No, like, in a hot way. Like, how you would, like, fuck a girl, I would say. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I can't lift Jared. He weighs more than me. Um, yeah. But... I love I love a lady with a, who's married to maybe a short king picking him up and sticking his little booty on the counter. That's like I just think Somewhere of picking up p- kids and putting them on the counter to put their shoes on. Yeah, um, your mind is warped. Take a day I off. I know. I wish I could. My husband's out of town for five days. Where's um, he going? Indiana to a con. He goes every year. 
It's the same. It's this con, and he's wow, getting paid. Wow, a year really flies. I forgot. Yeah, because I remember the yeah the con. Yeah, he he gets paid, and like it's it's like dork central, but yeah, he gets it's a it's a work thing for him. Anyway, let's go into this week's what would Sister Peg do? Our weekly segment where we direct you guys to an organization, a book, a doc, something to help give you more info on a subject we touched um, on in today's episode and. I would like to highlight the National Human Trafficking Hotline. This organization connects victims and survivors of sex and labor trafficking with services and support to help them stay safe and get them help. So if you know someone who is a victim of sex trafficking, you can call 1-888-373-7888 or you can text 233-733 or visit humantraffickinghotline.org and... That's also if you think you know someone that's been brought over from another country and is having their passport withheld and they're being forced to work for no money or very little money. If you know someone, go check out this website and see if you can get them help. And that's that. Thank you so much for that. Um, And next week, join us. We will be doing Criminal Season 5, Episode 21. That's Zoe Saldana. If you're... (laughs) I was going to do a Jenna Jackson. If you're nasty. Yeah, but then I got (laughs) weirded out by it. Um, You know, and Crossroads fame. That's how I was introduced to... Oh. Zoe. And you know who wrote that. That's a fun fact, too. Who? Shonda Rhimes. Wrote Crossroads. Yeah. I did. I would never have known that. Yeah. What an amazing Jeopardy question. Um, yeah. Um, so that's that's that. <laughs> and season five, episode 21. I did cancel my VPN now that I'm back in America, but I'm a big proponent of it and it really changed my life. So um, VPN for life, Hulu, Peacock, get at it. We're obsessed with you guys. Bye. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.